Um, well, I was approached by Mr. McCoy and asked to start a space. He said, I'm working on a truck. Want to do a space? And I was like, yeah, what do you want to talk about? And he hasn't responded. So I'm just waiting on everybody here. That's actually fortunate timing because I just finished his book today. <gasps> Did he really? Yeah. How'd you like it? Oh, I, I mean, I, I knew I was going to like it, but um, yeah, I, I thought it was good. I think a lot of people, you know, I think originally whenever they start or, or, or want to maybe read it, like they approach it from the perspective that you have to be military appreciated and enjoy it. And really, honestly, like there are so many other people that would benefit from reading that book. And it's my understanding, I think he's working on a couple other books right now, um, like two or three projects. So maybe he'll talk about that one. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that's good because I, I actually really like his writing style because I think, as far as I know, that's his first book. And uh, I, I think he did, I think he communicates well. I know that he makes some really pithy tweets. And I, I don't want to say that's the hardest form of writing but i think it's pretty tough to to make a clear and uh concise point on this on the health site yeah there he is hang on braxton i'll try to make you a co-host that way you can do all the stuff we're talking about your book um high tech just finished it today Oh, oh, hey, sorry. Yeah, very cool, man. Oh, did I, gosh, did I push the wrong button? No, you didn't. You're good. Okay. <laughs> okay. It's in my pocket now. So if it fails, it's my pocket's fault. Okay. But, um, what do you want this space to be about? I put working on the truck. But <laughs> just so well, everybody I, knows you're doing shit. Yeah, well, I was thinking it'd be cool to talk about how women are joy-sucking boars on Twitter, but... um. You know, so I, I decided to hit you up and see if you were interested in that. But you, you started it before I was ready. Um, yeah, anyway, I women, uh, yeah I, uh, let me rename the space. I'll put women in your second horrors on Twitter. No, not horrors. Holy crap. I would never use that oh. word. <laughs> um, I said, I said boars. Boars. Oh, my bad. Okay, hang on a second. Yeah. I mean, some of, some of them are that, but I would not use that word. Yeah. Anyway, uh, how's everybody doing on Sunday? Where did high tech go? Oh, I'm here. You read the book, huh? That's wild. Yeah, I meant to do it a long time ago. I've had it for a while. And then I think I had it uh, before I moved, and then it took me a little bit to find it again, but I blazed through it in about two days. Oh, wow. No kidding, huh? Well, well I finished Blood Meridian so yesterday, so I figured I better finish your book. <laughs> Very cool. That's a great book. It was. I mean, there's. I'm a. There were plenty of words that I I didn't know, and and they just kind of rolled with it instead of pulling out a dictionary. Mm -hmm. um, but I and my buddy had told me to after every chapter to read um, the website like for I don't know high school and college students called like lit charts or something that has a summary and then an explanation of the symbolism. Oh, but okay. The end of the book, I was I was like, well, wow. But it, the the figure of the judge kind of reminds me of the the main bad guy from uh, Stephen King's The Stand. I think Stephen mm. King got the idea for Blood Meridian, if the mm. book's newer. 
Yeah, perhaps. Um, I I don't read Stephen King, so I I, I can't you know I can't say, but. Uh, yeah, I'd be curious to know what these college dweebs thought about that. Um, uh, what what were they what were they saying about the judge? Just out of curiosity, and they said that he was, you know, that the, the book that that Cormac McCarthy implies that he's sort of a supernatural personification of 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 war itself because he's kind of this eternal. Um, very, not all powerful, but extremely, but superhuman um, figure that that embodies these certain traits, and that's, I mean, that was their interpretation in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean, it goes on a lengthy speech about war. So, okay, yeah, I mean, could be, you know, a lot of other people have put him in this, uh, tried to. Fr- I think frustratingly try to put him off into this category of like. Uh, is sort of like a Christ or Antichrist figure, and I don't—I I definitely don't think that's, in my opinion, the proper read of that. But whatever, I think McCarthy's kind of open to. Well, I mean, he's not. Nothing's purely open to interpretation, but McCarthy's pretty interesting in the way that he writes. Is that the first McCarthy book that you'd ever read? Yeah, the closest I've gotten is I, I watched the The Road years ago, but I'd never read any of his books. Yeah, you should definitely do the Border Trilogy then after that. If you, well, I mean, if you're interested anyway, if you like McCarthy. The Border Trilogy is pretty interesting. Take on take on things, but... Yeah, I'm going to... I got a whole bunch of stuff I'm going to read in, that, that, in the future, near, near future. There you go. Yeah, and, uh, you know, some people recommend starting with The Crossing and, you know, if you're going to read the Border Trilogy and... Oh, you can do that. I mean, it can work that way, but I think it's like now I started with the crossing and then read all the others. Oh, well, the other two. Um, and then I started again, you know, I've reread them a couple of times and, uh, it's better. It's better if you start with all the pretty horses and then go through it kind of, it works better. Seas of the plane is, I think not quite, I think it's the least good book of the three, but, it's still like it works. It's like the way he he used it to end, you know, the trilogy, and it makes sense. But anyway, yeah. Well, cool, man. I'm glad. Anytime somebody starts reading McCarthy, I'm I'm happy about it. I'll put it like that. Well, not to dox myself, but uh, he he had spent some time at a very famous writing institute that I'm. Uh, I haven't had direct interaction with, him, but I met a couple people from there. Oh, really? Very cool. I didn't. Yeah, and he he lives in South Texas now, doesn't he? Is that isn't that where he's at? Is that where he's at? I think he's in New Mexico because he works with. Um, I can't remember the name of this institute, but it's sort of. Um, I think he's in Santa Fe. Oh, okay. Is he in Santa Fe? All right. Right on. Right on. But he's not trying to swap an alternator on freaking comments right now. Yeah. Anyway, cool. What's up, Heather? Are you still there or what? Yeah, I'm still here. <clears throat> Talk about you. Like the last time that we did a space together, you were talking about the books that you're writing right now, but you never finished mm-hmm. your thought because your cult started going crazy. So, can you <laughs> talk a little bit about what you're start, what you're working on right now. Yeah, um, I've I've been. You know, it's weird the way. Uh, st- sometimes things start as an idea, and then. 
it kind of you realize that there's more there than you thought and it becomes like more than one project um and then i think that also when you're writing uh, hemingway talks about this but when you're writing well well when you're doing a decent enough job at writing he says like don't don't drink the well dry you know i think i think that's in uh his book uh uh let's see death in the afternoon it's about bullfighting but it's really about writing you know and so that kind of was how this started for me i had this idea that i was watching america turn into something that was unrecognizable to me and it was partly because i was uh much more uncultured than i would have realized you know go figure uh, you know kid from a town of 200 uh was uncultured but i wasn't i i really just didn't realize where we were where we were at as a country uh or where you know how far we had gone astray at least in my mind and so i started to write this book about american identity in fact i talked with Kay Smythe on her podcast about this on wednesday uh but we have we've kind of we're in this place now oh, so where you'll go on Kay Smythe's podcast but you won't come on my next yeah I didn't say I wouldn't go on your. When did I say I would not go on yours? I never said that. <laughs> you did it. Timing has never worked out for it. Yeah, no. Well, let's do Keep it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, um, we were talking about this, and I think that uh, we've really we've taken for granted that we're like a, a modern nation and all this stuff. And you know, sure enough, I guess we are, but we're still a developing country and it doesn't feel that way because we measure development based off of sort of economic opportunity. And like, yeah, it's, this is a great place for economic opportunity, but that doesn't mean that it's a, that it's a country with an identity. And the closest thing we ever had to an identity was the frontier and the frontier itself acted as a pressure relief valve for America and Americans more importantly, but actually also for the world. Um, you know, there were lots of Prussians and Germans and uh, Irish and Scots, Irish and, you know, the Scots and all of these people came the French even, um, you know, God forbid came out here and, uh, you know, sort of tried to make their way in this new sort of the black spot on the map, right? And now we're in this place where there's no more dark spots on the map. I mean, perhaps some areas in Africa, I know they've been filled in, but in some sense are still kind of black spots on the map. But America was the place with resources and all of this that, you know, one could run off to and try to uh, sort of... Uh, you know, just get a new start, a fresh start of some kind. And that doesn't exist anymore. And that's what happens as nations develop, right? Like um, there's a taiga, so to speak. And then once that taiga is filled in, and I know that really hasn't happened in the Russian taiga, but um, once that's sort of filled in, uh, now you're in this new place where like you've got to, uh, you as a, as a culture and as a country have got to decide like, how you're going to deal with this because at first you're you're rats in a cage you know stacked on top of one another in a sort of grandiose science experiment and then those who don't want to use force to impose on their neighbor are able to say well screw it i'm leaving this and go off on my own and now we're in this place where we're all sort of stacked on top of each other where whether we realize it or not even out here in the rocky mountain west to some degree and we're like looking for that cultural identity and the argument that i tried to make in this book was that 
we should have recognized that we were always a frontier nation. And when we reached the, the end of that frontier, it was going to be time to sort of reassess. And everyone took that reassessment for granted, like that it would never actually have to happen. But it does have to happen because that pressure relief valve is not there. It, it doesn't exist anymore. And so now we're like trying to, we're sort of scrambling. And it's like, well, I mean, we should have taken this into account long before we got this far. Um, and now we're, and so the, I, you know, it, I don't want to tell you the, the argument that I'd make at the end of the book, but yeah. So it's like, are you going to be an, uh, an imperial nation or are you going to be a European nation? And that's really kind of the decision you have to make because now you're Europe in some sense. Like America is sort of a, bigger, broader EU at, at this point, whether they want to admit it or not. Sorry, did I lose everybody? No, no, I think that's really good. I've, when is it going to be done? Well, I'm hoping, I'm hoping to have it to the editor in October. Whether that's going to happen or not, I, I can't promise, but I'm, I'm hoping to have it to the, to the editor in October. And I, you know, it's funny, like I was, I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off. I, as as I was going through, I started to write my first nonfiction book because I when to cool everybody in, when I first started working on the glass factory, I was put into touch with, you know, got friends and connections in a few places and I was put into touch with some of these people that are a lot better writers and they went through what I had written so well thus far to that point and said hey you really need to turn this into a novel just say screw it and write this like rewrite this whole thing as a novel and it will go huge and i was like dude i'm not telling my story as a novel i'm not doing that it just would feel so cheap and weak you know but as i'm right working on this new book i started to have like the urge to work on fiction which i know is like so uh, I think it was uh, Hitchens talked about this, like the urge to write fiction is uh, evidence that you're a bad writer. And that might be true. <laughs> you know, it's probably true. And I'm just going to embrace it because I, I sort of had a, a fiction book growing out of this that I'm working on as well, kind of on the side. And it's, it, I'll be honest with you, it's funner. It's much more fun to write than the nonfiction piece. But Yeah, I, I thought you were working on a project with somebody else. So I, I thought that might be... I am, and that's kind of another project, but that's, I, I am, but that's kind of a down-the-road thing. That guy's in a position where we're not quite ready to grind as much as we were a couple months ago. Um, Is that fiction or nonfiction? That's a nonfiction book, and I'm actually very excited about that book, but, but yeah, it's, it's unfortunately going to have to be put off a little longer than I wanted. Okay, uh, yeah. so talk to me about uh, the subject at hand. Women are joy sucking boys on Twitter. What interaction did you have that prompted this? Because I know there had to be somebody that that, that prompted this. Oh, well, there's no. I'm not gonna go specific on any. Okay, don't be precise, but yeah, I mean, there's just something that happens with women where they they either can't joke or take a joke or they take jokes to like they they go to like the same place that like dumb men do where they make every joke sexual and then they wonder why you're not like interacting with it and it's like well I'm not interacting with you right now because i'm married and i love my wife and like I'm like okay that i get that you're trying to make jokes here but these are stupid jokes you know what I mean? Like they're just yeah. like they just kind of ruin stuff for no reason. And maybe it's not. I know it's unintentional. They can't help themselves. You know. But I mean, yeah. I mean, they ate the fruit for God's sake. So, um, 
Yeah, uh, they just th- women are born boomers, unfortunately, and uh, for some reason we quit doing the arranged marriage thing, and we've ruined our entire culture because of it. I guess is what I would argue. So, is this a, an opportunity for us to go ahead and betroth our children to one another? Or is that <laughs> no? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm becoming no, pro arranged marriage. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> Um, so, like, Indian culture, like, where you don't, where you, like, court one another based on, like, the choosing of your parents, like, I'm curious about this, because I, I, I'm not necessarily opposed to it. <laughs> well, I'm leaning, like, as of now, I'm leaning kind of the Hotep Jesus route, where it's like, okay. well, okay, here's 10 people, and you get to pick one of these. <laughs> you know, to be so sure. Okay, you get your, <laughs> you get, you, you, I'm, yeah, okay. You get to, uh, you get to select on your own, but turns out that I choose who you're selecting from, kind of thing. And I think yeah. that's our only, um, I think that's our only hope. <laughs> so, no, I, I really don't, okay, I don't believe that, believe that, but let me be serious though. We have reached this place where people are dating online. Um, and I, I did as well when I divorced my first wife. Um, we've reached this point where we're dating online, and then we wonder why there are so many uh, meaningless, you know, just uh, – well, there's, there's a lot – there's myriad reasons for this. But a reason that we're doing lots of this meaningless casual sex thing and pretending like it doesn't matter, which is, by the way, a complete bullshit lie. Um, but anyway, a reason – that we're doing this and that these encounters feel this way is because that we're dating outside of our culture in a way that is like, um, brand new. I don't want to say it's inhumane, but it's certainly brand new. Like this has never happened before. Um, uh, you know, you got, uh, well, you, in, in rodeo kind of did this too. There's like, there's in sports just in general in a kid from a small town can travel these other places and interact with these girls that are beautiful, you know, these city girls, and then you start trying to date, and, and then eventually they end up married, and then it turns out that they don't have a thing in common with each other, and they hate each other in 10 years, and then, you know, they're divorced, and now their kids are wondering what the heck happened. Well, what happened was these are two people that are, in some sense, incongruent, no matter how much, you know, NBC or whoever else sitcom tells you otherwise. Like, these people don't belong together, uh, and I think it'd be wise to... Uh, take that that stuff more seriously, I guess, is what I'm really driving at here. So it's interesting you say that. In my space on Friday night, we talked a little bit about the proximity effect and impacts people's relationships. So um, certain certain industries are, are much more prevalent, like uh, flight attendants, restaurant workers, things like that, <clears throat> where the more time that you spend with somebody, the more you think you have in common with that person. But then mm. when it comes down to it, you discover the actual proximity to one another is what you actually have in common with that person versus uh. actual likes and, and interests and things like that. So I think interesting. it's interesting though, you bring up um, you bring up online dating. I it, It's interesting because I think that in old fashioned, you know, you go to a library, a bar, or, or some like outside vacation where I hope not the bar. <laughs> right, okay. Um, but you know nothing about that person when you meet them, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas with online, I don't know if that's true though, but I want you to finish and then I'm gonna push back. But go ahead. Yeah, no, please go ahead. So I but then online dating, you have the ability and opportunity to 
go into extensive depths with getting to know that person. But, you know, there's a there's a facade there, too. Like, that person can only disclose what they want you to know about them. And then, you know, it turns out they don't fucking wash their teeth before they get in bed at night. And that's <laughs> a fucking disaster. So, like, I see there are certain things that, you know, you don't get when you have army dating. So, I'm curious to hear your thoughts about that. Okay. Yes. I, um, I think that's interesting. And I think that, um, if I'm, if I'm hearing you correctly, I think what you're implying is that over time, our species or our culture or whatever will adjust to this new thing. And what they will find is a, a richer, more meaningful connection to, to the person that they're uh, engaging with because like on Twitter, you know, you get, I, I'm fairly new to Twitter, but it, it doesn't take long to figure out, okay, so here's the ethics and sort of rules of Twitter and here's how I can break them and have fun and engage in such a way that is compelling and this kind of stuff. Um, and so like human beings are designed to do this sort of socially. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I hope I'm understanding your point correctly, but yeah, I could see a utility there that would potentially build over time a more profound interaction than you could have even in your local community where it's just like, well, me and Martha understand each other because her dad's ranch is three miles from my ranch. And that means that we uh, share, you know, this or that worldview, but Unfortunately, there's a transitionary period, and we're in that transitionary period where uh, there's going to be a lot of pain. And I guess, but, but yeah, I, you know, human progress is a bizarre thing. I guess. Is it, did, first of all, did I read your uh, summation correctly? There, you did. I think that it, when you say, I, I I agree with you. Like we're in this transition period where we're starting to utilize this, but are we utilizing it well? If you look at fucking Tinder and Bumble and all that, I would say no. We're failing miserably. But I think that there is opportunity there, certainly, um, yeah. long term. But because and and I say that you know we've been talking about like balkanization and stuff like that, and so a lot of my spaces lately, a lot of people talking about a national divorce and stuff like that, and so gentlemen. What? You talking about me right now? <laughs> no, kind of. <laughs> um, but there are uh, there was a gentleman, and it was so sad. Um, he lives in California. He's sixty two years old. His wife is disabled. He works second shift, hmm. and he was talking about how he is having a really time connecting community wise with anybody around him. Like he went to his neighbors, like old fashioned style, where he tried to kind of introduce himself. And he got mm-hmm. brushed off where they're like, you know, dude, don't come to my fucking house. And is he, is he, he from the area just quickly? Is it- he is originally, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I guess he's worked in, you know, like he moved around locally within his own community. So his most recent move put him in a very, I guess, liberal area, shall mm-hmm. we say. And so like-minded individuals, yeah, I mean, it's really hard for him to connect. And so I, I, even from a friendship perspective, I could see online resources giving people access to one another that they don't have within their local community. And I, I see that even for myself. Like I was talking about, you know, pretty much what I'm surrounded by are rich, naughty fucking soccer moms that I don't get along with. And that's because of my daughter, right? Like it's, it's, the, it's the thing that she does in her activities. 
that that's the people that I end up having to spend my time with. So mm-hmm. it's like I do find like online community a lot. Like I have you, I have high tech, I have people that I've connected with through online community that I don't have access to here. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I just I think it's interesting. Yeah, no, I do too. And I have met good friends online as well. And I, yeah, I, in fact, I met my wife through a dating app. So I'm not, you know, we were in the airport. I mean, it's in the book. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not against this stuff. All I'm saying is that uh, we're, we're in a place where a transitionary period is upon us, whether we want it to be or not. And I think it's worthwhile to recognize that that's part of what's going on. Like that factors in at the very least. And some people don't want to do that because we act like, well, people are people. And well, that's just not true. You know, like fundamentally people are people. Sure. We're all the same race biologically. If I mean, fine, you know, but we're not the same. Like I don't get along with people a hundred miles from me. Like we share nothing in common. Well, that's not true. Uh, 150, 200 miles from me or something. Well, how far Boise is from my house? We don't get along. You know, we don't see the world the same. Uh, and that's evidenced also in some sense on Twitter and in other places. So like, I'm not trying to throw this thing out because I think that that would be wrong. All I'm trying to say is that people, human beings are still human beings. Like um, I'm reminded of, <laughs> I, I can't actually remember exactly which book in the Bible it is. I think it's Solomon where they find that, you know, the Jews have, uh, basically they were given a sort of anarcho covenant and they couldn't handle it, you know? And they start saying, okay, we, we want a king. And uh, they fight and argue for a king and they end up with a king. And we wonder in some sense, like why, oh shit, I just broke my freaking clip. God damn it. Um, we wonder why we have so many political, you know, issues now. And the issues that we have politically don't look all that different to the, in, in some sense anyway, all that different to the political issues that they had way back then. And so people are people. And I just think that the problem is that we're like pretending as if people are some, something else, that they're like above uh, reality in some sense. I know that probably sounds dumb, but it, that, that does appear, it does feel as if people treat uh, community and uh, not community, but uh, folks in some sense, as if they're like different and they're not, they're the same people that they have been since they were on like the freaking plains of Africa. They're still people. And so we've, we've introduced this new and very profound and powerful technologies that, could do great things and are doing good things, but also doing great ill. So like a way to think about this is every time I log on to Twitter, uh, I see lots of people complaining about how shitty Twitter is. I'm like, dude, Twitter has been awesome. Like I, I don't do anything on Twitter except have fun. Like every once in a while, someone will anger me, but for the most part, like, I'm just having fun when I'm on Twitter, but it's cause I approach it in such a way that I treat it like it's just Twitter. And I'm not sure that everyone does that. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so I think online dating could be the same thing. So if what you're doing on, and you're, you're dating online, if, if your goal in dating online is to find a person with shared interests and values, then I think probably you're going to have success and do well. And like things are probably going to be great. But if you just approach it as I'm looking for the hottest guy or girl on the app, 
then I think your life was not going to go quite the way that you planned. And I think that's how. Well, most are you kidding me? When all these boys are doing their their face lock filters and stuff, where they're <laughs> like, okay, so I I don't know if you know I did this or not. So I I was I was watching like Quiet and Nate and all these people were doing these face apps and I'm like they're like very attractive women right so I was like okay I'm going to take a picture of myself and use this face app filter and see what it turns me into like an actual female into a virtual version of me and I actually did like a full-blown experiment and I tried to recreate the photograph as the like I tried to like make myself look as close to that filter I even dyed my hair this photograph and i still couldn't get close to really is that true yeah i'll show you i'll send it to you at some point later so you can see it but it's like what these and so like that back to like this the fakeness right like you're only giving your and and you try to tell girls and stuff don't don't even worry about the fakeness of the filters it's like I came into here. I came into here, and I'm like, "Oh my god!" I refollow everyone that's actually in this thing. Twitter's unfollowing all of the actual people that can on my account. Like, I'm, I'm genuinely being like, like you'll unfollow. <laughs> so, yeah. Like, who yeah, goes? that's weird. I know, I know. Like, how would how would Twitter roll in there and be like, "Yeah, no, you shouldn't follow these people," and I'm not going to tell you about it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why they do that, but they definitely do. Oh, I know. It's been going on forever, too. And then, like, holy shit, someone's throwing knives. <laughs> yeah. Well, Braxton's yeah. working on a truck, so, so he's dropping stuff. But, but yeah, so, so what? But you, yeah, Heather, yeah. Heather, Twitter unfollowed me from you. And I'm like, what? I have to follow Heather again? Like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> that's crazy. Um, yeah, so we did this experiment, and I was like, you know, I, it's interesting to me, you know, that these these filters are out there, but you talk about like how that impacts. So like, what's the long-term damage that's being done? And I don't know if you've watched the documentary, The Social Dilemma yet, but I talk about this on a regular basis because it's a very good documentary that talks about what social media and and all of the online activity that we're doing, what it's doing to us long-term. And it showed like a young girl and she was constantly like she would take a photograph of herself but if she didn't get so many likes in the beginning she'd delete it and then do like a filtered out picture and then she'd get all the likes and so like you're you're creating like a what the ai version of yourself is it's it's like it talks about how like they're literally behind the scenes of your phone creating an alternate version of you that they know okay, if I show her this advertisement right now, her face will stay looking at her phone for X number of seconds. And a lot of these um, high-tech, like high-profile people in the tech industry have defected to come out and say, you know, originally when we had these ideas and we were, we were creating this, we had good intentions with it, but the result has been very bad for world. And so it's a really good documentary. I highly recommend it. Yeah, so that documentary was made by Tristan Harris. Yeah, right. Wasn't money. Yes, that's so. Tr- Tristan Harris. I haven't, I haven't seen the documentary yet. Um, but Tristan Harris was an ethicist for Twitter in the early days. Is that right? Because I remember that's him correct. on Sam Harris's podcast a long time ago. Um, he follows me on Twitter now, which I think is interesting. Well, he's been following me for like a year, but I, I think it's interesting. Um, I, 
yeah, I mean, there's just no question that social media is doing some very bad things to people. But I'm also skeptical of the when I start to see people that I very much view as within the cathedral, when I start to see them doing things that sound like they might be protective of the cathedral, I get quite skeptical of that. Um, you know, it might be the wrong impulse and, it might, you know, it might be like me being reflexively paranoid or whatever, but I do get that way. And I don't know, like social media has got some very bad things to it or it can, it can be a very bad thing, but it's been nothing but a, a benefit for me. So, and, and for other people that I know, I, I don't know, like there are some content creator people that have gotten very large, like huge, making millions and millions of dollars uh, a year off of this stuff that are now like talking about how terrible it is. And it's like, well, don't you sound very much like the person who's trying to close the door behind you. Um, and I'm just always skeptical of that. Right. I guess. But Freeborn, you um, had requested to speak a while ago. Do you want to chime in on how women are joy sucking boars on Twitter? <laughs> no. <laughs> I kind of accidentally <laughs> touched the mic button and I can't figure out how to turn it off. Oh, no, no it's fine. Okay, yeah. You're welcome to sign it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I absolutely so don't want to comment on that up. at all. Okay. okay. Let's hear it. Are you still in my state right now? Uh, well, barely. I'm in Boise. Okay. Yeah, that's not my state. That's See? California. See? <laughs> okay. So what, what were you going to say? I'm sorry. I can't cut you off. Dude, dude, do you notice how, do you notice how like, what's going on with all the social media companies? Like, it's the pure shadow ban. Like, I'm completely under shadow ban right now. Everything that I do on the Twitter account is just completely shadow ban. Like, like, where, where do we get this thing where the outlook can rule our lives based upon, like, how we interact with the public? I, like, I don't get it. I don't understand how this is acceptable. This is where it gets into um, like that documentary that she's talking about. Um, how much of this is actually for your own good, you know, in in their eyes, and how much is really just a profit mechanism? No, um, or, or gatekeeping, I guess, would be a better way to look at that. Um, I don't even know if it's, I don't even know if it's these things at this point in time. I think this is just like I think I think this is just like for fun. This is for fun. I think that the algorithms are like cornering people into corners and they're just watching them scurry. That's what I think is going on. Well, sure. You're always going to have... Well, okay. So, if you were going to shadow ban folks in order to break up something that you were worried about, then you wouldn't just go shadow ban or, you know, damage somebody like Jesse Kelly. What you would do is go after anyone who liked what Jesse Kelly said. You know what I mean? Like it, it would be, it would be bad tactically, and also just kind of like a, a an ineffective maneuver to go after someone like Jesse Kelly because it's too high profile. So what you have to do is go after. You know, I'm just using Jesse Kelly as an example, obviously. Um, Dude, I have no but, idea who Jesse Kelly is. Yeah, and and that's fine. He's just a big tall idiot marine, and oh, I you know, whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I, I like Jesse a ton. He's he's a buddy and he's a great guy, but. Um, you, what you wouldn't do is go after Jesse Kelly. What you would do is go after the people that might share someone like Jesse Kelly's content. And that would be the way to get after them and be sort of off the radar. And I think a lot of that happens. Uh, interestingly enough, I have obviously a very small account relative to like what matters, but, uh, you know, in the sense of like what they care about. 
Um, but my account experiences more, or excuse me, less shadow banning than it did when I was at like 5,000 people. And I think that's evidence of this, that the goal is to go after the accounts that can sort of promulgate these ideas rather than um, like the people who are producing the ideas. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. But I mean, like the shadow banning, like I feel like Twitter is like way more, not so much fun because I'm, I'm dude, I'm just a shit poster. I'm literally just a shit poster. I'm going to be weird, like stirred up. High tech. I know you had your theories. Go ahead. So I was going to say, as far as if social media is a, a, a good thing or a bad thing, I think part of it depends on where you are in your life and how developed you are as a person. I think for people who have a philosophical or moral foundation, it's a great way to network, um, which is kind of what you had said about mm-hmm. meeting people. And I think for kids, it, it's, it's, I don't know. I, I, I'm tr- I was trying to think if there's a real difference between this and say TV in like the eighties and nineties. The only mm-hmm. difference I think is that the feedback is self-forcing uh, much more immediately than it was in the past. Because if you saw something cool on TV and you went and bought clothes and came to school dressed in whatever, you know, it took a while for your peers to give you that feedback. But now sure. uh, you could try on, you buy it immediately, post it, and, and you're getting that feedback whether you're, um, whether you're conforming or not really, really quickly. And at the same time, because these things are public, uh, the bullying gets tamped down because I, I know it's sort of a joke, like on right wing Twitter, that bullying works. But I think there's probably some aspect of bullying which has an important sociological uh, role in societies, which is teaching people what's acceptable behavior or not. Mm-hmm. Sort of lost that, and so now we have, and, and, and with just like with popular media like TV in decades prior. You can push your profit through, but now you've lost the negative reinforcement and only have positive reinforcement. Yeah, it's a great point. It's a, yeah, pretty, it's a great pretty, point. Pretty perilous place for somebody who's trying to still figure out who the heck they are. I mean, it, it, it's, it's really no place for them to try to figure it out. Yeah, no, you're right. That's a really good point. That's a very good point. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, I know that all I can say is that we are very careful in our house about how much of this we allow into our children's lives. Like, that's all. I mean, not here to pretend to be like world's best parent or anything like that, but we're, we are, we are quite careful about how much we allow into our kids' lives for basically those reasons. So, yeah, I think it's a great point. It's a really good point. So I want to talk, I want to go back to what you were originally talking about, Braxton, when you said um, about, women being, about awful. women being awful, like, so like the joke, they're taking it too far. They're, they're trying to be overtly sexual or something like that. So what, can you give me like an example of what you're talking about? <laughs> um, okay. First of all, I will never say a joke went too far. You know, I used to do stand up and I, I love jokes. I love jokes. Now I'll never tell somebody they took their joke too far. All I'm saying is that there are levels of joke that I won't interact with. You know what I mean? Oh, I'm um, aware. I'm not going. <laughs> so like, I'm not going to judge or think anything, but I just won't, just won't do it. And that's because there are externalities to that, right? Like I have a wife who's not on these social media accounts and, you know, or, or, in the public eye at all and never has been and all this. And she doesn't want 
Oh, I just, well, she doesn't ever say anything, but I just, I, I don't want to put her in a position where she would be uncomfortable. So I avoid certain things. Okay. Uh, every once in a while, girls will go off on like very overtly sexual stuff. And sometimes they're even funny. Like um, a girl recently made a comment about that she would even buy she was talking about wanting to have sex with me and I just, just, I didn't see this until like hours later, but I, you know, I finally saw it, but she was one of, you know, her and this other person were talking about wanting to have sex with me or whatever. And she was like, well, I'll even buy this. She posted a link to, or a screenshot of this cow costume <laughs> from Amazon. And she was like, I'll even, I'm even open to making the necessary modifications to this. And I thought it was funny, you know, but I'm not going to like interact with that because the base of the joke is, you talking about wanting to have sex with a person, me, a married person that you don't know. Like, I'm not going to interact with that. That's kind of the thing. Um, and, and other people can do that, and I'm not going to judge them. I, like, when I was single, I made all kinds of shit like that. You know what I mean? Like, I never did that to a married woman, but, but whatever. I'm not judging it. I just won't interact with that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah, I think that, you know, and I mean, everyone that knows you, or I mean, I, I would hope at this point, like, I they should know that you're married. So that's probably not a healthy interaction to have with you anyway. Like I, I get the joke, but I see what you're saying. Like that's, it's pretty inappropriate. And it's incredibly disrespectful to you and your wife. Like it's not just right. to your wife, but, but to you too, like to put you in that type of position where, where you feel like you should or shouldn't respond to it. Like, I, I don't know. Like I, that's super uncomfortable. Yeah, I don't know if you're you guys that I just followed because I had to re-follow them because Twitter unfollowed. Have a great night because I got to get out of here real quick. So sorry, Heather. Thank you, Braxton. Thank you. Um, All right, man. See you guys later. See ya. Take care, pardon. Yep. Yeah, no, I, like I don't care respectful to me. Like I'm, I'm all for it, but I care about my family, especially my wife. You know, she's basically been pregnant for like three, her whole four life, years yeah. now <laughs> so so you know she's because you know she's uh i just i want to be respectful of her she you know and um yeah and yeah but i'm open to jokes and I, I will never like i'll never people can make their jokes you know what i mean but just don't expect me to play with you know go along with whatever x or y joke is if it's going to be if it's offensive to me, then fine. And I'll probably laugh, but not to my wife, you know? Yeah. So that's all. I, that's all I meant by that. And so like, let's talk about like the de-evolution of women in general, as far as respect is concerned. I mean, if we're really going to talk about women being joy sucking boys on Twitter, like mm-hmm. I, I think Twitter brings the worst out in many women. Like it's, I, I did it. I actually, I did a piece a while back about toxic feminism. Like everybody's always talking about toxic masculinity and how bad men are, but it's really interesting because I would argue the inverse of that. I I think women have gotten so comfortable with being completely disrespectful and abusive in so many aspects, lashing out publicly, lashing out personally, and and expecting no by using their vagina as like a moniker to say I'm allowed to do whatever I want to do. Yeah, so I mean that definitely happens, but I I think th- you can go deeper on this in in a way that you know like I was joking about arranged marriages before, but you know I'm so, obviously I don't anyway. Wait, that was a I'm joke. Gonna, yeah, right. So. Uh, <laughs> But here's the thing is we are – this is like uncontestable 
so far as I'm aware anyway, we are a species that sexually selects the, the females of our species sexually select. And so, uh, all of the behavioral adjustments that are made within like a societal context come from women to men. That's, that's how they work. Like anyway, like it'd be difficult to argue outside of that unless you're willing to embrace a virtuous life and then you're into a new, you're into a different stratus at that point, which is why you see like people become, you know, infatuated with like Buddhism and stuff. But Buddhism is in some sense the same, the same thing as like Socrates and, and others, the ancient Greeks discovered, you know, like this, this life outside of uh, personal desire, you know, so the virtuous life. So if you're not living the virtuous life, like almost none of us are, certainly not me, um, you're living in this world where uh, your behaviors are dictated, whether you realize it or not, by selection mechanisms and sexual sele- selection mechanism, uh, most importantly. And that mechanism is driven by women. And we were able to maintain this sort of great sort of uh, domineering position because we had women who took that role seriously. And now we live in this new place where, you know, women are men essentially. And I don't mean like the way that people mean it when they say that, but like behave as if like these are very, like they're very casual with the way they hand out sort of sex. Right. Um, And as soon as you open that door, you have broken the most powerful selection mechanism in Western culture. You've broken it. And now you live in a brand new place and we're like feeling the ramifications of that. Like you wonder why uh, people like Justin Bieber are skinny twinks. It's because that's who is getting sex from women. That's why, you know, and like, okay, that might not sound good or might not make people in our culture feel good, but it's the truth. And that's why they look that way. And that's why the decline of the American male can be tied and should be tied directly to the sexual revolution of Betty Friedan and, you know, the 60s. Because, like, we broke our selection mechanism. We broke it. And no one wants to admit that, you know, because, you know, sexual liberation and all that, hoorah, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, fundamentally, the idea is that women, uh, women select, and men try to be what is selected. I guess put it like that. Hi, Tech. Were you going to say something? Yeah. So you know, I've 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 been lucky enough to avoid this whole sort of online dating thing. But when I went to a a conference when I was a little bit younger, I met. So I don't know for anybody here, I'm a physician. I went to a conference and there were a bunch of women I had met who were in their early 30s who were still single and they all lived in big cities like D.C. or Atlanta or something. And the stuff they were telling me about online dating, um, I mean, it's, it's exactly kind of what, what Braxton said, that without, without that sort of societal, with, <clears throat> the sexual selection gave a lot of power into what, what could be expected of men. And now that um, I think women have been quote unquote sexually liberated, um, and, and they're more free that they've lost the ability to sort of get um, what they want out of, out of men. Cause all the men using these online dating sites, they can, I mean, they can, it, it's like ordering takeout, you know, Oh, and this girl, you know, she, she didn't brush her teeth before bed or whatever. That's, that's, that's a total deal breaker. And, um, or if they just don't want to, you know, they just want to, uh, uh, to use a colloquialism, hit it and quit it. It's, it's extremely easy for them to do that because they could just, 
that, you know, you could swipe a thousand women. And even if your hit rate's only like 1%, you've got 10 people lined up, ready to go. And probably half of them you could take out on one date and, and hook up. Um, and so, and then they're, they're really unhappy and they're like, Oh my God, it's so hard to find a good guy. You know, I said that, you know, I'm married or had a long-term girlfriend or whatever. And they're like, Oh man, I, you know, why aren't more guys like, well, I don't know, because I'm, these guys aren't using those apps. Right. 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 And, and honestly, I, 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 you know, I don't want, I'm not a pass the buck type person and that's why I'm trying to do some other things outside of this, but it's still true. Like what's true is true. And a lot of the reason that, uh, there are that it's difficult to find guys that are like that is because girls don't demand guys be like that. I mean, just is what it is, at least in my view. So, I I don't know. Like, I, I'll give a little bit of pushback on that because just a little bit. I like I think that there are still women to do, but I don't think that we're in the majority, right? I think that there are. Uh, like masculine traits are still uh, so. Like I in in this article that I wrote, I talked about. Uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, right? Which is a, a touch beyond even, you know, like that's it's a whole other world, right? But the number mm-hmm. of women who fiended for those types of books at that time was astronomical. In England, Fifty Shades of Grey outsold Harry Potter. So it's like to try to suggest that women don't see that, but I think that it's perception versus reality, right? So like culture, meaning like media, propagated people like Justin Bieber and said this soy boy version is what you should desire. And so although women inherently desire masculine men, they still date and fornicate less than because they're told they're supposed to. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, I don't know enough about that book to have an opinion. You know, like I have the, sort of pop culture sense of the book. Right. Um, can you describe the main character of that book so I have a little better uh, frame of reference? Yeah, so he's um, very fit, uh, very wealthy, very, um, uh, shall we say, masculine. I don't. I feel very awkward trying to describe him to you, so I'm just going to leave okay. it. So like... <laughs> okay. It's a very, it's quite desirable person. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like the way that that book has been described to me is like just this, you know, uh, pornographic. You know what I mean? Uh, Smart. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I like I say I don't have an opinion because I I haven't read this book and I'm not going to read this book. So, uh, but yeah, okay, fine. But I wonder, I wonder how much of that like was okay. Was it a did a man write that book or did a woman write that? A book? woman wrote the book. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I swear if they fucking sent me the wrong alternator. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe, I don't know. Like, okay. This is, this is hard for me to speak to. Plus I think they sent me the wrong alternator. So I'm slightly irritated, but, um, I can't say because I can't judge this guy or this character without having read the book, but I wonder how much of that character was influenced by the sexual revolution itself you know so to speak well i mean um, if you're talking to me it's a, a, it's a in the world of like bdsm like he is the antithesis of what the sexual revolution looks like you know women's empowerment and all of that he is the total and complete polar opposite of what what should have been popular uh, and bdsm i know is like where people whip and chain and that kind of stuff but 
what's the actual this, uh, that's a, like uh yeah again like super awkward but it's like so for him his character he he desired to overpower women like he to dominate them and for them to be completely submissive to his will which would be the total opposite like you would think that women would be turned off by this book based off i would not think that i would not think that i would especially not think that about women who have been sexually liberated by betty for dan uh yeah i i mean i have observed this with my uh being my wife's um without doxing my wife uh lived in a you know basically californized city in the intermountain west when i met her and so all of her friends well the ones who are still that way they uh you know they were like basically pussy hat type people you know like the when I say that, I mean like the the protesters or whatever. Right. And every time we would go to a sort of party, um, I lived at the time when we were dating, I lived in a small town about two and a half-ish hours south of there. And I'd be working, you know, like busting coach or whatever. And so didn't like, you know, I needed to get to the party. So a lot of times I would just leave. Um, right after work, I'd be dirty and sweaty and all this stuff. And, you know, like I just got locked off of some retard cult or whatever. And I'd go up there and it was obvious that, like, she brought it up many times that these girls were attracted to that. And I would just tell her, like, well, look at the rest of the people in this room, you know. And I have, obviously, my uh, military friends that she knows. And I'd say, well, if we were with X or Y of my other friends, do you really think it would have looked or it would have been as, as bad as you feel like this was. And she would say, no. And I said, well, that's, that's your answer. You know what I mean? It's like, they're looking for this thing, but they're looking in a place where they have crafted all of these defeat losers. And they wonder why they don't like them. It's like, because you made your women into men or your men into women. Um, right. And so when you meet a man, that's a man, you're attracted to that because surprise biology is a thing, you know? Right. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I just I would I I guess I would have to read the book to have a real opinion, but I No, I'd it's be not so skeptical. much about the book. The argument that I was making is more along the lines of the the type of man that women desire. You just made my point for me. The type of man mm-hmm. that women desire is um, like a true legitimate man, but the type of men that that they end up dating or being with are who they're told by pop culture they should be with the Justin Bieber soy boys of the world. That's what I was trying to say. I see. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I do think that you see a lot of that. I do think, and, and this, I think it's funny that men uh, are so bad. at. One thing I, I grew up with, it was a blessing in some sense, at least when it came to um, being a, a horrible womanizer for a few years is I had a bunch of sisters and obviously a, a mother. And so I spent a lot of time around women. So I kind of understood women. Um, and what you see in women is like, they still like Greece. <laughs> like to yeah. this day, you know, um, they still like that. And like women are still women, but it's men are, that are doing all of the changing. And we wonder why our, uh, our culture has gone to shit. My argument is that women are signaling that they are this new thing, but women are still the other thing, and men are just full of shit. Does that make sense? Like, <laughs> yeah. like 
women are just trying to be this new, or excuse me, men are just trying to be this supposed new thing that women want. Um, and women are still just women because, you know, like say, surprise biology. Um, anyway, you know, and I'm sure there's probably somebody listening right now that's like this freaking asshole, but really, I don't care. It's like, I believe that. So whatever, you know. I know. I don't think. I. I don't think that the argument that you're making is wrong. Like I. I, I am a female, right? And I think. I think sometimes I feel yeah. like I'm a fucking. I was born in the wrong generation. Like I should have been born in the 1950s. But I just. I think that sometimes I just am not where my peers are. Like I don't. I really do just want to like cook dinner, family, and like I. I just you know I. I think it's. I don't know. I'm very old-fashioned when it comes to that kind of stuff, but then I open my mouth and I ruin all of it because I say bad words all the time. We've talked about that link. We yeah. have. We have. <laughs> <laughs> privately. <laughs> privately. Um, but the I, I don't know. Like I, I feel like there are just some things that shouldn't change. And that uh, you're right, biologically. And I don't think anybody would, would argue with you about that. Certainly not in this room from what I can see. Like most of these people I, I know personally. So it, I don't think that they would dispute that. So I have a friend that I want to put you in touch with. Uh, Cause I think you guys would be great friends and she would make fun of me for telling you that you got to stop saying the F word and <laughs> is this the one that went to the airport with you uh no this is Kay Smythe. um she's a welsh chick um do, do you know her I, you might know her maybe maybe not um, i don't know anyway yeah uh i think she would be interesting here because it, what's what's really weird for me as you know small town boy like uh lived my entire life in some sense like a country song is that the girls that seem to get it most are girls who have done the other thing and realized that it was trash. Yes. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, like, yes. And I think that's like Kay and you and my wife as well. You know, she lived in this shithole California place and was just like, yeah, this is bullshit. And, you know, one of the, one of the craziest, like just, just to, you know, put a personal point on this, when I, first met my wife's parents and went to their house they had a picture on their wall it's a it's a kind of a famous painting out here you like you'll see it in some rocky mountain houses but uh it's a grizzly bear pulling a salmon out of the river and it was exactly the same picture that was in my grandfather's house and i told my mom about that when when i went home and she was like, well, there you go. Now you know what's meant to be. And I was like, well, okay. But <laughs> what that really means is that at least I'm dating somebody who grew up like I did, even though she didn't behave that way when we met, if that makes sense. Right. And, I, and I didn't a couple of years before that. So that's certainly no judgment on her. But you know what I mean? It's, it's almost like maybe the, the entire trad tradition in some sense is both – when I mean when I say trad tradition, I mean like the young people that are moving toward this sort of trad gang life. Right. Um, are people who have tried the sort of bullshit modernity and are like, yeah, this is bullshit. And because they've tasted it uh, and they know it's garbage. Like we're almost, we're almost like the uh, Adam and Eve outside of the garden going, yeah, that was a mistake. You yeah. Know? Probably shouldn't eat the fucking apple. <laughs> yeah. Like that's sort of us. And, and, and yeah, so like when I talk this way about women, I, it's, it, I promise you it's not from a sense of judgment. Like, 
I've I've done this. Like when I was doing stand up, I used to make hideous jokes. I talked about that in my book a little bit, and you know, I womanized and was a dickhead and all that. But finally, got back to I hope to almost something that my grandfather would respect, and I think that's the that should at least be the goal. And the problem that we have societally is that instead of um, raising a bunch of prodigal sons, we are raising people that um, come home as the prodigal son and argue with their parents about politics. You know what I mean? Instead yeah. of like looking at it and going, yeah, well, you guys have got to figure it out. You know what I'm saying? Um, or at least sure as shit have got to figure it out better than I had, you know? Right. Um, anyway. So how, like, I, so I'm interested because it, like, obviously like I have a daughter, right. And so eventually she's going to start this process. God help anybody that she tries to start it with but i <laughs> i i am in a position where like i would i would like for her to not make the same mistakes that i did right to not go through that whole process and so i try to like you said like be the person that your grandfather would hope that you would have turned out to be right like but i want to do that. Right. like i want to be the i want to be the mom that I want my daughter to grow up and be, right? Like, I, I want to personify those types of, of behaviors and stuff like that. But it's really, it's hard, right? So, mm-hmm. and I think about, like, how do we create that imagery, right? Like, how do we shift that culture? How do we start saying, no, you really don't want a fucking pussified version of a soy boy. Like, you you actually want a man and, and start, like, actually, how do we shift that? How do we change that? It has to be done, and I know this is cliche, but it's just true. It, it has to be done through the culture. They've got to start um, seeing movies and music and this kind of stuff that that uh, sort of aligns with that. Because athletics – see, this is why it's so dangerous that athletics have become such bullshit. Um, because athletics used to be this place where uh, parents could send their kids off to play a sport and develop you know, physically in a way that was – um, important and all this, but they would be with a coach that shared values with the parent, right? Um, oh, God damn it. I just put that freaking... Oh, okay. Sorry. I got to take this freaking alternator back off because I'm an idiot. Um, anyway, uh, it used to be that they could go and um, interact with this coach that would do nothing but reaffirm the stuff that they had heard from their parents, you know, because they were aligned and all this so, unfortunately, it really has to be a broad cultural victory. And until we're able to win that cultural victory, then politics will never matter. Unfortunately, it's just the way that it is. And, um, I mean, it just is what it is. Now, you know, Hoppe talked about covenant communities and all this, and I think that's great. Like, for instance, BYU has a big opportunity right now. They could uh, – shit, I've got to do – okay. Um, BYU could do – like really score a huge victory for traditional life right now by refusing to allow biological males who have decided that they're going to transition um, into females or, or, you know, like just say, okay, we only allow biological uh, females to compete in, to compete in uh, sports. They could make that, they, they could make that a thing. They're in, like, all they have to do is say, look, the NCAA is not going to dictate our uh, morality. 
And if, if the NCAA is going to force this upon us, then we're going to leave and start our own conference of athletics and um, who's going to come with us. And what would happen is you would see places like Laramie, like, yeah, okay, you're not going to be eligible for the national championship football game. But do you care about the national championship football game or do you care about your kids, right? Like, so uh, colleges like College of Wyoming or University of Wyoming um, out in Laramie would join them, uh, probably Boise State, certainly um, uh, Idaho State down in Pocatello would certainly join them. You know, you would get these other uh, schools to jump in and you could score like this really big um, cultural victory. Unfortunately, that's not happening. So we can't rely on institutions to help us. We've got to find a way to do this stuff ourselves. Uh, Nick, I see you got your hand raised. Go for it. Yeah, so uh, Braxton was talking about sports and stuff, and I, I, I wrestled in high school and a little bit in college. That's why and, I still like you. <laughs> and I'm, if you want your son to be a man, you'll put him in wrestling. And you'll make him do it, and you'll make him cut weight and do all those things, because that turned me from a boy into a man. From 6th grade to 7th grade, I was transformed. Um, the, the, the last part's arguable, but I agree with the rest of it. Yeah, right. but... Um, <laughs> Thank you, Braxton. Uh, <laughs> but uh, um, I remember even when I was in middle school, uh, and this came from wrestling, was we would have PE. I had to participate in PE. Everybody had to. We'd do the mile run, and they'd say, "Hey, you don't have to be. You don't have to run. You can walk." And I remember it was like me and one other kid who would, who would actually run it, and everybody else would walk it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, if we really want people to be tough, like, and I get like with football and stuff, like. Everybody looks at football as like being the tough sport or whatever, especially down south where wrestling isn't big. Um, but the, a lot of those kids are pussies. Totally. Like, uh, especially linemen. Oh my god, they make me so mad. But they they think they're the toughest guys on campus, and so, maybe they used to be, but they don't. They coaches never were. can't. I don't want to say berate because I don't think anybody should like tear a person down. But coaches mad like they used to at kids anymore because they're afraid to hurt their feelings or whatever. It's so uh, funny that you say that because I'm from Indiana. So, like, my my upbringing is Bobby Knight. Like, he throw chairs at people. Like, it's not it, – it's oh, not, yeah. when we, we choke people out when you don't hit your free throws. <laughs> well, for, like, for Christmas, my kids on my high school wrestling team bought me a pack of clipboards because I broke so many clipboards. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember uh, – you know, you know Pat Smith, Braxton, first four times. Uh-huh, uh-huh. He was my coach in high school, actually. Awesome. And he was hard on us. He would he pulled me in his office one time when I was struggling in like seventh grade or whatever, and he was like, "Do you want to be a man? Or do you want to be a pussy?" And I yes. was like, "Well, I want to be a man." And he's like, "Well, then you got to." And something just clicked eventually. Then you got to stop like, acting like a pussy. Oh yeah, and and it. I, I wish you would have yeah. listened. <laughs> but but that that transformed me. I, I, but what you're saying, culture and all that, it, part of that is too. Af- athletics don't even matter anymore because these coaches aren't hard on, can't be hard on kids anymore. The schools yeah. want to allow them. Well, but, okay, but here's the thing about that. You're right. You're totally right, and I don't want to dismiss this point because you're you're completely right. But the schools used to be and should still be run by the parents, but they're not anymore. Um, because parents are too busy, you know, in their minds anyway, they're too busy making a living and all these other excuses that right-wingers make that are all bullshit. Um, you know, I'm too, yeah, I gotta feed my kids or whatever. It's like, well, fine. Uh, what's more important, feeding your kid or, uh, teaching your kid to be something that's worthwhile down the road, you know? Um, 
And I, I agree with that too. And much more so in these bigger schools, like bigger public schools and cities and whatnot, where parents just aren't involved at all. Right. Names are right. And, and, hand raised. I'm going to let you go real quick. Yes, finish your point. No, go ahead. I don't need to. Uh, I just wanted to add on to what Nick said about football players being pussies. I'm by no means an athletic person, but I beat the shit out of a line, <laughs> but I don't fuck with wrestlers. You don't, you don't fuck with wrestlers. They will put you down. Yeah, I mean, some of them are Nick, though, so you probably take your, take your chance. I'm right now. <laughs> Poor Nick, man. He comes in the room and he's just like... I got, I got a story, actually. I was up in no, Pennsylvania, I love him. I'm just Pennsylvania with some, uh, some of my boys for a concert. It was a Dirk Bentley concert, who also sucks, by the way. Horrible hey. country music. Yes. And um, these dudes cut in line, and everybody – I heard them behind me talking. The one dude was like, hey, just follow me up there. And he's like, all right. So they walked up and cut in front of a bunch of people. And everybody was looking around and giving them the stink eye, but nobody was saying anything. So I looked at my friend. I was like, I'm going to say something. He's like, all right, I got you back. <laughs> he's a big boy. He's like 190-pound black dude ripped. And mm-hmm. so I went up there, and I was like, hey, uh, um, I don't know if you noticed, but there's a line. And you guys just cut in front of anyone. They're like, oh, no, we didn't. I was like, yeah, you did. And they're like, well, we didn't. And I said, well, you're either going to – I was like, listen, you can either get at the back of the line or we're going to move you to the back of the line. And his buddy goes, bro, look at their ears. They're wrestlers. Let's just get at the back of the line. And they walk straight to the back of the line. Like, no shit, really? <laughs> yeah, that was so funny. That is funny. Yeah. little cauliflower here will go a long way, I guess. Free and independent. I know you asked to speak. Did you want to chime in? I, I didn't give you the opportunity to speak that, but – I'm just waiting for an opportunity. You damn sure don't fuck with people with cauliflower ears. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess, like, yeah, usually people with cauliflower ears are pretty tough. That's true. But also, you know, when you get cauliflower ear, you can get it drained and it doesn't get as bad. So it's also kind of they chose it, um, which is kind of like cool. Like, it's almost like a tattoo. Like, they chose to have it. Like, I had mine drained a bunch of times. I got a little bit, but I kept a drain in, and mine never got too bad. And now I'm kind of envious of dudes who didn't because it's it's been like a cultural shift. Like, you look at people like Kale Sanderson, and there's some there now. But if you look at him back, like, when he was in school, um, he didn't have cauliflower ear because he took care of it. You know what I mean? Um, anyway. It's another. That's an aside that's not important. Well, I wanted to chime in real fast on the whole, like, the, the athlete thing and the coach thing, right? So we also have shifted a huge mentality, and I think that this has changed culture, too. The, I mean, we, we joke about participation trophies. Like, we, we crack jokes about it, but it's, it's very legitimately real. And so my daughter's a competitive gymnast. Some people know that. Some people don't. But she finished sixth in the state last year. Like, she's very awesome. competitive worked really really fucking hard but um i noticed so like when they went to the state competition there were in her like age division in her competition there were like 60 something girls and they go ahead and and do a placement so you still get placed right they're still first second third podium and then they they would still they went all the way out to all of the girls in the age division and even the 30th place still got a ribbon so it was like uh, it's it's interesting that we've created this culture where everybody has to be a winner and we, we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, even though you still didn't do as good a job as other people. So I really hate that we're getting to this point where there is no such thing as competition anymore. There's no, it, it sucks. Okay. So I have, you know, an unright wing opinion on this. Uh, with little kids, particularly with wrestling, which is a sport that I love, 
Uh, I really like that kids leave these. Now, I don't want every single kid there to get a trophy, which doesn't really happen in, or a medal in the case of wrestling. doesn't really happen, but lots and lots of kids leave with uh, medals. Lots and lots. Like, I mean, I would say two-thirds of them at little kids' tournaments, uh, local tournaments, not, not national tournaments, but local tournaments, are leaving with medals. And I like that because like a little five-year-old just went through this really grueling difficult thing and i hope that they you know get something that makes them feel great about it where it gets to be super gay is when you're talking about like older uh kids um then it gets gay so like the participation trophy thing the meme i think is a little bit overplayed because it can be useful like um i don't know i just i really like watching kids leave with a smile on their face when they're you know, seven, eight years old, 10 years old, even 13 years old. Now, when you get into, you know, 16 year olds or something, then yeah. And this is where wrestling has really maintained a meritocracy because that doesn't happen in high school at all and pretty much doesn't happen in middle school um, and certainly doesn't happen in college. But, you know, so I, I just, I, I kind of feel like it's a little bit overplayed. Um, I think it's the weakness that surrounds that that's the real problem and not actually the medal, I guess, or trophy is what I'm trying to say. Elaborate on what you mean by that, because I think I think that's the same thing. It's the people giving it versus the people receiving it. Like, I don't have a problem yeah, that's with a right. little kid actually receiving a medal. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, I think it's the, the problem is the 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 adult that is. Yeah. that's absolutely the problem. But the great thing, wrestling has a true meritocracy that lasts forever. Like Nicholas can speak to this, but um, when you, when you get to high school and stuff gets like a lot more competitive, no one cares how many junior high or little kids state championships you want. Like they don't care. And even from a coaching perspective, like there's no way to politic it. You either win the wrestle off or you don't. Um, and so you're either competing or not because you can either beat the kid at your weight or you can't. Uh, and so you're left, you know, you can go. But in places like maybe football or baseball, this can be like more, I could see how it could be more of an issue. So I would almost argue that the problem is that we don't have as many sports that have a, a true long lasting practicality to them. And we're assigning to that, to that problem, we are assigning uh, an issue that I don't think is actually the real issue. Like, great, you're good at baseball. That's awesome. But that means nothing as an adult. Being a tough wrestler lasts until you're 50 or more. It's similar with boxing and stuff. Um, so I, don't th- I, I guess I don't think that the problem is with the trophy so much as the, as the sport. And I'll, I'll agree with that, not just for wrestling, but for other combat sports and individual sports as a whole. They build a very much because if you lose a football game, like you might be upset about it, but you lost it with a, you know ten other dudes or twenty two mm-hmm. or twenty one other dudes that are out there with you. But when you lose a wrestling match or you lose a boxing match or a swim meet or whatever, you lost that, and yeah. that that can uh, that follows you for a while. Especially if you lose somebody you shouldn't have lost to, that will follow you for years. Bro, I still think about high school losses sometimes. I'm not even kidding. I, I still I, think about them. I remember I lost to a kid, I think it was sophomore year. I went like a hundred and something and like five in high school for the state of Arkansas. Or I only lost one match within the state. And I still think about how I lost to that kid and I never got to wrestling in because the very next tournament he bumped up a weight. It wouldn't have <laughs> And I should not have lost to him and I did. And it still it still bothers me today. Yeah. No, I absolutely believe that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, 
I mean, I don't know what the solution to that is, but I do think that that that's part of the issue. So, boxing too. Boxing is a great sport as well. I love boxing too, but um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like our priorities are all screwed up, um, and we're placing, we're looking for, we're looking for, uh, like we're we're trying to solve problems that are actually deeper. And we're, we're not looking deep enough, I guess, is what I'm going to say about that. Like, the problem, in, in some sense, is the sports that we choose, you know. Um, well, to, to get off the uh, – not to get off the sports now, but as a larger picture, it boils down to, like, what society values. And we've moved away from the individualism of old. Of, like, you know, if you don't make it, that's on you. And we've moved to a very much collective sense of – Hey, if you don't make it, like it might not be your fault. Like it's okay, and some people don't have the advantages of other people. And when we moved away from that, is when I think a lot of this started. Yeah, and then wrestling adds another element. I don't know, like what you're probably at a pretty good school. It sounds like, but at a, at a good school that has a chance to win every tournament that you're in, when you leave, and even if you won, if your team didn't win the tournament, you don't feel like you won anything. So it's it's like very humbling. All the way around. Does that make sense? Like, yes, I, and I agree with that. I, so Arkansas wasn't a great state for wrestling, but I was on a national level. I was definitely above average. I, I almost all American at Fargo like three years. I got one match away, awesome. and then I would lose. Um, but I, that was probably more mental than anything else too. But uh, and I wrestled a couple years in college before I was like, hey, I got to focus on grades. And I started sometimes. I was the backup, like. Um, but it, I mean, college wrestling was another level and I'm glad that yeah, it very sure. much built up my mental toughness. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, what, what were we talking about again? I lost my train of thought. <laughs> he's, uh, he's reliving the glory days right now. Well, I miss high school wrestling a lot, dude. It was a great experience, but, um, if it, you know, all my kids are going to wrestle, uh, they're not going to have a choice in it. And once they get out of high school, if they don't want to do it in college, that's fine. Like you don't have to, but you're going to do it for at least a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what were you but saying, we'll, Heather? Off track of the broader point I was trying to make. So. <laughs> no, I was just. I, I don't know. Like I just. I. I wonder. Like we. We touched on it, and you said like we have to do it ourselves, and and like shifting culture, right? So we mm-hmm. have no control. Over, like uh, I'll never like something that stands out in my mind right now. It, do you, I don't know if anybody saw it or remembers, but last year. Vanity Fair put out a magazine that had a cover of Anthony Fauci sitting in a suit by the poolside and he had on this (laughs) fucking lame ass socks and it was like he was like this personification of what like culture should be right like and Mm. we have no control over that right we have no control we can stop purchasing it. I don't buy Vanity Fair, right? We, we can stop putting money towards those types of organizations, but they're still going to get that money, right? They're going to get it from wherever and stupid people. And so I I feel like, like, how would we start changing this culture? Like, what types of things could we be doing societally to start going back to particularly athletics? You know, be masculine if you're a man. Be feminine if you're a female. Like, like, I just, I don't know. Like, I just keep trying. I always try when I have these spaces and when I have these conversations, I try to be solution oriented, right? Like, we can sit and visit mm-hmm. it all day long. But what types of things can we do to shift that? Uh, yeah. I think that one, one of the, 
one, one of the problems that we have is that we act as if we behave as if that the uh, the shift is bigger than it actually is, or the necessary shift is bigger than it actually is. Like this uh, earlier in this conversation, we were talking about how uh, biology still matters and sexual selection is driven by females, and like females are still females, whether they, you know, whether whether the culture says they are or not. So I don't I don't think that the the moves to be made are near as big as they feel like, um, because biology is still at play here. You know, and we can't forget about that or discount that. Like we're still, we're still folks. You know, right? Um, so, anyway, sorry. Go ahead. I think yeah. that mainly starts in the house. You know, I mean, that's that's in your own home. I mean, that's the biggest thing you can do. You know, it's like I said, parents not being around, parents not getting involved in these things. I mean, we went the full extreme. I mean, I I started homeschooling my kids long before COVID and everything, and that was primarily because of it. And, not, and Alaska's got a fantastic, fantastic homeschool program. So, I mean, it's not like our kids aren't socialized. They are in sports. They are in gymnastics. They go to these ninja classes. But, I mean, your foundation's at the house. I mean, I think that's where you change the most is right there in the home front, you know, making sure you have a strong family. And, you know, that's that's where I think the biggest shift needs to happen. Well, and so I will, I will say, too, like, I, I don't disagree with homeschooling, but I think – like I, if my, if I, my kids were going to a public school that was shitty and was teaching all this bullshit they want to teach now, I'd pull them out and homeschool them if I could. And, but I don't have kids, by the way. But when I have kids. Um, but if I – at the same time, I think your first option should, or your first reaction should be to try to change the school first. And so um, we were saying, what you know, what's the first thing do, that we do? And I think at the local level, the most important is getting involved with your schools and getting involved with the local government because the left is very good at – marketing and people are very willing to accept the message of you know you're a victim it's not your fault here's your handout um but right it's a lot harder to get people to accept responsibility and move towards individualism and if you want to do that you have to start at a local level at your schools and start teaching kids that there and then they'll carry that on in life and then you can start local politics will drive the national politics is what i'm trying to say yeah yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think any of that's wrong. But what, Heather, do you got anything on that? Yeah, I mean, like you guys, most of you know me well enough to know. Like, I'm currently in a situation where like, I have to work, right? So, my kids go to, or my daughter, my son is only two, but my daughter goes to a public school, but she's in like a high ability program that's kind of segregated and different from the normal school curriculum. But I've been fighting with the school board for a year now over mask mandates and, um, you know, kicking kids out of school for weeks at a time to, quote unquote, quarantine. And um, so I like I, I am heavily involved at a local level. I'm getting ready. There's a nonprofit that wants me to sit on their board that talks about like kids freedoms and speak speaking out for kids rights. So, like, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. But it feels incredibly fucking defeating. And I'll just be honest about that. Like when you go sit in these meetings and you give these fiery and impassioned speeches where you're advocating for your children and the board sits there on their cell phone, yawns and ignores you. And it's, you know, they relinquish all of their power to a superintendent that's unelected. You know, it feels very defeating, even at a local level. So I, I agree with you. I just... I wish there were more people that were, were making these strides. I wish there were more people having these conversations. 
Well, and so I, I came to a decision like a year or two ago. I was like, all right, so I want to be when I get out of the army, I want to get my nursing degree. But what I don't really want to be involved in like high level politics. But what can I do to get involved locally? And after doing some research, I was like, well, I can be a state rep and um, be a nurse. I won't have as much time to nearly as much time to do anything, but I can do both and make at least you know enough money and be involved in both politics and be involved in the medical field. And so I made the decision to do that. Uh, and I'm going to do that. Once I move back to Arkansas, I'm I'm going to file the paperwork and run. Um, and I think I have enough local connections wise to get elected. But uh, I, th- I think that's another thing, too. Is like we have a lot of good people who are saying, like, well, I don't want to run or whatever because I don't want to get involved in this. But I think people have to start running for offices locally, whether that's mayor or state representative or, you know, running to be on the school board or whatever. But, we weren't even in public school, and my dad was talking about running for to be on the school board for Little Rock because he was just pissed off with how the things were going there. Right. And I, I don't know if he's still going to do that or not, but if he, I think he should do it. And um, even if it's not your school, you should still be involved in it because these kids are going to be the kids that are going to be voting in elections and you know running, uh, running the country and working when you're old and retired. Well, to kind of get on your point, you were talking about, you know, you have to get more locally involved in, in the school system itself. Essentially, that's what we're creating up here, Nicholas, is it's just the parents up in the area that I live in that they're tired of what's being taught. They're tired of it. The school board wasn't listening, just like literal was talking about. And we said the hell with them. Not just me homeschooling my kids. I mean, we basically have a community of people that we are we're all homeschooling together. There's people that you know, are experts on certain things that we take our kids over to them and they're going over and learning things from these folks. And it's, we've, we've, and I realized it's not the same situation for everybody, but because that situation was so bad at the local level, that's, we've decided to go against them and say, you know what, we don't need you to educate our children. We can do this without you and we will. And that's, and we're being extremely, especially with COVID, we've been extremely successful with it. We had all the kids sent home with, you know, trying to do the online learning and all that business. You know, there's been a ton of people come into the group and it's, it's just, it's just growing every day and it's, it's been really successful. And I think it's a good way to kind of put it to them. Like you, you don't have the power here. We do have the power here. And if you don't do what's right, we are going to do what's right. And so, you know, it's, it's not just uh, isolate children or anything like that. It is a huge community that we're, we're working with. It sounds like you guys have created almost like a micro school, like where you like have your own school system, but it's taught by like you guys share the responsibility as parents, which is really cool. Like there's a concept that I'm very much in favor of because like I said, I still, I have to work. So it's, it's different, but it sounds like I wish there's more education, more like I'm sure there is. And I probably should get more into it, but around here, that's not an option. And that's we do have a huge advantage. Like I said, Alaska's homeschool system was already kind of well established to begin with. And what we actually do have a school. It's a char- it's technically called a charter school, but I mean the kids have the options to go into these they call sessions instead of classes a couple of days a week. But what what brought me to those guys is I mean they have robotics classes. They got people using three D printers. I mean. I, there was seven-year-old kids and they're soldering circuit boards together and they're making their own autonomous robots and we have archery classes and air gun classes and the guy at the school actually teaches as kids get older if they stay in they teach they teach the trades from plumbing to electrical to carpentry and he actually gives them a job at the school and they start maintaining the school themselves and they actually have a coffee shop that they maintain so they actually have an opportunity to make money and have a job as well while being at the school and it's 
it's it's really we we've really enjoyed the program and i'd love to happen for everybody else out there God, that sounds amazing like you're making me want to like consider moving to alaska at this point Hi. <laughs> yeah, i'll never leave i love it i'm from braxton's area down there i'm just south of Montana's where i grew up but mm-hmm. i moved to alaska 15 years ago and i the greatest place in the united states in my opinion i have hey, visited alaska, to get but... to russia we gotta go get some of that cheap steel case ammo now <laughs> yeah what bullshit by the way i talked to a, a lawyer friend of mine last night and um we're definitely screwed on ammunition by the way but so what what i've heard on that too was that, so apparently tula and wolf make more money exporting ammo to the united states than they make from the russian military buying their ammo That's awesome. and and that uh that they have probably been preparing for this eventuality for a while and that eventually it's probably going to take a few years but they're like the ammo will come back it's just going to be branded differently and manufactured in another country um by wolf and tula Um, whether they pack up some of their equipment and move it there or they just start up something new i was like shit they should just pack it up move it to mexico and now it's a hop skip and a jump to import it and uh but i'm hoping it comes back eventually but yeah we're screwed for a while Hi, yeah, Ted. I saw you use your hand. You wanted to talk about the school stuff, so I'm calling you in the names yeah. you can go. So the, uh, uh, you know, in California, uh, homeschooling, I think, is effectively outlawed, but the way they got around it was a charter school system like that. So everybody who opted out of um, traditional public school is part of a community like that. And I think that they were, I think they're generally successful. And one of the interesting things about sharing the responsibility for teaching kids in a system separate from the public school system is that at least in California, they were getting, if not the full eight, whatever it is, $8,000 a year per student, they were getting some, some fraction of that. So they were actually able to hire a teacher and they got to choose who that person would be and they could fund all those kinds of activities. So um, that, that has existed in other places in the, in the, in the United States. Yeah. Alaska allows it on a lot. So like each kid gets so much per year where we can spend that on, extracurricular activities or books or whatever the case may be but you know like the charter school we went to they charge just a, a small portion which my wife volunteered the school as an assistant she's not a teacher or anything but she just helps keep the school maintained and so a lot of our kids credits for instance don't get charged while they're at that school and so that just gives us more money to fund you know uh, gymnastics or archery classes or whatever it is that we choose to do and and like I said, I know Alaska is a lot different than a lot of other places. They really do. They actually promote the homeschooling quite a bit up here, to be honest. So. Names, go ahead. I just want to say on the ammo thing, that's some bullshit. That's the easiest way to put it. I'm, I'm really pissed off, though, because uh, <laughs> some people might know, but like two months ago, I ended up uh, blowing some of my college savings on a Molot Vepper RPK. And now ammo is going to be basically the price of the gun. Not going to be fun. Yeah, it sucks, man. Sorry to hear it. <laughs> yeah. Spending $6,000 on a gun with cheap ammo is worth it. Spending $6,000 on a gun with not cheap ammo is not worth it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I I'm wish there was I, something else to say. Anyone... I'm, I'm, t- I'm going to tell you, though. I promise you, it, the market will solve itself because AKs have... 762 by 39 in particular. 545 is probably dead. Uh, that's fine. Oh, yeah. 545 AKs. Anyone who owns that, sell yeah, it now. Dream is it's... gone. But 762 yeah. by 39 is popular enough around now that that demand will be met somewhere. Because not only are there AKs, there's AR platforms. 
There's yeah. um, all kinds of platforms. And so there's the even the Ruger American Ranch. The bolt guns have a seven sixty by thirty nine chamber. There's the mini thirties as well. Yeah, it, the seven sixty. It, it will come back. Like one. somebody's going to meet that demand eventually. It might not be in the next year or two, but three, four, five years down the road, it's coming back eventually. It's pretty much until either Tula or Wolf or Barnall or someone makes a factory here in the U.S. or close. Wombat, you can go ahead. All right. Well, about the whole MLC. As Ian Malcolm said in <laughs> Jurassic Park Part 1, life finds a way. And um, it may be rough for the next two years, but Fight for Five is most likely dead. And um, there are American-based companies that harbor, have our interests at heart. Like, I've heard some things like PSA might be getting into the ammo game here, which gives me a warm, fuzzy feeling. That they'll be manufacturing 762 by 39 and hopefully 545. It's so funny whenever I'm in a space with you because it's like, what sound is that right now? Like, it's, it's like I play a game all the time. I'm like, oh, he's, he's using a support range right now. Or, oh, his rooster's crowing at the wrong fucking time of day. Like, it's, Are you talking about me? Yes. Oh. comes through your mic anytime you host their space together. I'm just like... <laughs> Ammo is definitely going to be the 7.62 is definitely going to be the price of 5.56 for the next couple years but you know it's it's something that we're just going to have to accept but hopefully it'll go down eventually but 5.45 is gone sounds like 5.45 is overrated anyways yeah 5.56 is much better cartridge my boy. Yeah, five five six sucks too. And I don't want to hear shit about anyone about six millimeter arc ever again. Ever, ever again. Okay, well here man. Regarding his price or what? Right, regarding his price, yeah. What's that? I said five five six and a twenty inch barrel is the way. For no. five five six. There is no configuration. Well, for five five six, yeah, sure. But there is no configuration that uh you can dream up where five five six outperforms six millimeter arc. There is no Oh yeah, probably not. But it's, I mean, even with the ammo shortage, I just I can't afford to pay a dollar something around. It's just it won't, and I I can't reload right now, so it's just not an option for me. Well, cry more. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so let's get back to hating on women because that's what this whole thing is about. Yeah. Um. So I. What did you say, Nick? Repeal the Nineteenth Amendment. Yeah, I support yes. that. It'd be a good story. I'm joking, by the way. I, I don't no, actually I'm, want to. I'm She's kidding. not. I'm dead serious. <laughs> like, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that because you remove, you would remove all of the fucking liberal agenda if you did that. You would, like, all okay, of I the- wasn't joking, but I didn't, I didn't read the room very well, so I actually do support that. funny how quick they come out of the woodwork yeah no and the fucking casey's in here now he'll join in on that shit too um yeah no i fully support women not voting i i we should have never been able to (laughs) y'all think i'm joking i'm not joking at all like i i i remember people so people like to say voting is a right or whatever and it's not in the Constitution. Voting is not a right. Yeah, you Correct. have the amendment that says you can't discriminate on the vote based on race or whatever. Um, but I think that, no, not everybody should vote. Some people are incredibly stupid. Um, some people are very authoritarian to obviously unconstitutional policies. 
that's me. Um, and those people should be allowed to vote. And I think if, as a politician, if you if you pass a law that is found to violate at least the Bill of Rights, you should not be allowed to hold office anymore. That should immediately, you should have to resign, they should hold a special election, and you're out. Uh, so I have tons of opinions on politics, right? Like, I have an entire fucking podcast based around it. But I... I still don't think women should vote. And I I think I, I even go back like even super fucking old school. Like I think that you should have to own property to vote. Like Yes, that's me too. Yes, yep. exactly. That's what it should be. Or at least pay some sort of tax. At least be, a, be an income tax payer, you know. I mean half the population doesn't pay an income tax, you know. I mean right, of course right. they're gonna vote to continue to get fed from the from the machine when they're not into the machine, you know. I mean that's at a minimum, you should be a taxpayer, not a tax receiver. Yeah, I mean, both Rothbard and Hoppe argued this, and I, I, I agree with that. Like, even even if your um, if your income is is uh, determined by, uh, well, let's see, if your income if you were if your income relies on uh, who is in office, like you're a, uh, if you work for the state, at the very least, you should not be voting. I mean, that like public sector unions, for example. Um, all of them, police, firefighter, military, that's all kind of absurd, honestly. Uh, at least you should never be able yeah, you shouldn't be allowed to vote. I'm, I'm down with all of that, actually. I was kind of thinking yeah. on, on Heather's point about having to be a landowner. I'd almost favor a, a weighted voting system based on the amount of land you own up to a certain point. Yeah, see, that I can't ever favor. Um, because then you just, well, all that happens then. Right now, we've got, go ahead. Oh. Bill Gates will decide yeah, everything. Doesn't he own like No, he doesn't own. He doesn't own that. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't own. A, he doesn't own a gigantic percentage, but he is the largest landowner in the country. And um, yeah, all that would happen then is you know these oligarchs would just move to buy up more property because the you know and you would drive up property values at that point because there would be a new uh, you would you would add there would be a new value add to property at that point, and especially where we have. Well, we have so much wealth amassed in the hands of a few now. Like, there's never, there's never been a system like this before. No. I mean, I know people think that, like, there's just never a system where there's been this much wealth aggregated in the hands of so few. So, yeah, I would, I couldn't support that. But I mean, I like where your head's at. I just personally couldn't support that. So let's go back to like women not voting. So I, I think you're thinking about it. I have. I told you guys, like, I surround myself with these fucking soccer moms that I don't get along with, really. Um, and I, I do get along with them, but it's very topical, right? Like, it's not um, any sort of in-depth relationship where I, I could even have a political conversation with them. But if I asked the question, you know, what are our three branches of government? I don't know that any of them would be able to adequately answer the question. And yet they go out and vote. Like they voted for Hillary Clinton. They voted for Joe Biden. And I know this about them. And it's like, like it literally eats me up inside. And they're like, what? there's a little girl that works with me. And she made a comment. Yeah, I was, I was, I had just come and given my speech at the school board and it was on the news, the local news. And she decided she's 21 years old. She decided to chime in at the office. And she was like, if I can't decide what's done with my vagina, then I don't think you should have a say in what's, if the community tells you to mask. And I was like, what what say don't you have with your vagina? Like, what is the state telling you with your vagina? Like, it, it was just the the logic of women is so fucking retarded. And so I well, I mean, we have a physician in here. Uh, I'm I'm not a physician, but I'm pretty sure that nobody abort vaginas. But I could be wrong about that. 
I don't know. I'm not a physician. Well, but I don't I, think I anyone's mean, advocating he, for the abortion of a vagina. Actually, I think that's uh, that was Biden's uh, plan all along. So he's going to re- <laughs> rearrange everybody. What the fuck? Now I love him. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay, go ahead. Watch out. Watch out. And I, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Suburban white women are going to ruin the country just because they have so my, it goes back to the the school is basically a daycare system now right so now these women have eight hours of their day if they don't work where they have nothing else to attach themselves to they attach themselves to these meaningless political causes that end up just making things way worse yeah like moms demand action is a terrorist organization yes uh, moms demand action is revolting um (laughs) and those people don't even understand what they're advocating for they are advocating for the killing of other Americans if other people won't conform to their belief system. And I hope it never comes to that situation, but if it does, I mean, the Moms Demand Actions member Facebook page is public, uh, and those people wouldn't deserve any sympathy or mercy. They know they know exactly what they're voting for and what they want. And Well, it's really it's- easy when you're in these suburban communities, right? You're these fucking... Echo yeah, well, not just echo chamber, but you're you're protected, right? You've got that gate in your community. You're you're yeah. in a position where you have the wealth necessary. You have your entire uh, fucking neighborhood is full of police officers, right? Like you have the ability to protect yourself. So you want to lay down policy, and and it is it is there are fucking tough men in those suburban areas where these women are the ones that control their households. If they withhold sex from them, if they don't vote a certain way, like it's this whole mentality of, uh, it's just insane to me. So I fully support, just repeal the 19th. I'm fine with it. Yes, Those people don't realize they're not safe. A gate, some dumbass security guard that gets paid 40 grand a year is not going to keep somebody who's determined to hurt people from hurting you. Right. I mean, half these, I've all, so I live in Little Rock, right? And I lived in like the nicer part of town in the suburbs. And we didn't have like a, a gate, but we had like some security guard that drove around. I was like, I could literally pull that dude out of his car anytime I wanted to and beat his ass. And there'd be nothing he could do about it. I was like, he's literally there to call the cops. That's it. And the mm-hmm. cops are going to take 10 to 15 minutes to get there. And that time they'd be dead. Um, it, they could be dead within three minutes. And they just, they, just, they can't comprehend that fact. They, they, they have lived in relative safety for so long. That they don't know, they can't comprehend violence. Well, on, on that point, like, let's say I was determined to get into there, I could hop a fence and go on a shooting spree for the 15 minutes it would take for the cops to get there, and that could be anywhere between 10 to 15 people dead. The guy sitting in a gatehouse isn't going to stop me. I'm just going to shoot him, and he's going to won't do anything. Like, there, it's a false sense of security that can be easily broken within. 10 minutes. But, but they won't see that as their sense of security being broken. They'll see it as somebody's allowed to do something. Um, something's not allowed. Somebody's allowed to do something that I don't like, i.e. own a gun. And that's the problem. Not that, hey, we're not able to protect ourselves. Well, and it's not even like, let's go to the root of that, right? So, like, me killing you, that's that's a crime, right? Not me owning a gun. It's me actually murdering or, or shooting, right? Those are still right. illegal. Those are those things are illegal. So that doesn't change or negate the fact that prior, what does it matter what you can use, right? If I fuck with a baseball bat, I still have my goal of murder with an assault weapon, right? Like, 
So it's the idea that I want to remove people's right and ability to defend themselves because I feel secure in in my own personal defense is abhorrent to me. Like the idea that women think, and I'm sorry, like I, I could go on this fucking tangent for a long time, and I won't. But yeah, I just feel like I'm done. I wanted Casey. I I invited Casey. Casey, I don't know if you're you might be dropping your phone right now, but Casey has a really good story about these suburban women that live in his neighborhood. And it's one of my favorite stories that he tells because they like harass him in these Facebook where they're like, you know, run around the neighborhood. And it's like, <laughs> it's really funny. But yeah, see there. Okay, can we lose him? You know, he's no, I'm, I'm here. Yeah, so I, I had a group of uh, suburban moms, the Karens of the neighborhood. And uh, is, is Braxton, you spraying the the uh, horse's hooves with some antibacterial? No, I'm actually <laughs> trying to clean a freaking canine air filter right now because I just put an oh. alternator on my truck. But, yeah. Right. So yeah. anyway, these, these suburban moms um, decided that we were in this neighborhood group and there was a, someone actually got murdered in walking distance, not too far away. So I, I posted in the group, I was like, Hey, you know, you guys just be aware that your little community is not as safe as you think it is. And there was a murder walking distance away. So stay armed and stay safe. And from that, I started getting direct messages from the moms, the Karens. And they were like, I can't believe, I didn't even say anything about a gun. I just said, stay armed. They're like, I can't believe you carry weapons of war. You're you're bringing danger into our neighborhood. And now, for the first time in my life, I'm scared. And I shouldn't feel scared in my own neighborhood. <laughs> I, I'm just laughing my ass off. Well, I told that lady, I was like, hey, I just blocked her. I was like, don't contact me again. And then a couple weeks later, I mean, there was just shit happening. Like, cars got stolen and stuff like that. And just keep in mind, this is in our... Not in Texas. This is our house. We have a house in Milwaukee in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were up there at the time. And so I started a new neighborhood group up there with, like, the conservative people in the neighborhood. And then I got a message from the Karen that leads the neighborhood group. And she told me that we need to talk. And I'm like, yeah, I don't need to talk to you. And uh, she's like, no, me and you need to go for a walk. And I was like, what are you, a therapist or something? And I was being condescending. And she's like, well, I actually am. Oh. <laughs> yeah, since then, I found out she was just a social worker. But nonetheless. Uh, oh, did we lose you, Casey? I really wanted to hear the rest of Oh, that. my God. It's such a great story. I wish you. Okay. Yeah. I can, can you hear that. me? Yeah, so I, I told her, I was like, hey, I, I don't need another crazy woman who went into um, psychology, you know, to diagnose me. You just diagnose yourself. And she goes, she responds, well, I've already done that. Ha, ha, ha. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, cool. Problem solved. Have a nice night. She keeps responding back. And she's like, no, seriously, you and I need to go for a walk. And I'm like, well, you know, what? I'm a happily married man. and <laughs> I don't need to go to a, with a walk with you anywhere. I'm good. And she's like, well, people in the neighborhood are afraid of you. They're concerned you might hurt somebody. That's what, and how is it a bad thing? How, and how I, is it a bad thing? Like, Yeah, I just said, I go, look, lady, don't ever contact me again. I was like, I don't need your bullshit. 
I was like, you know, whatever psychological issues you got, you know, I block her. Well, it doesn't end there. It just keeps going. Like, it's fucking nonstop with these women. So, basically, I talked to some of my other neighbors around here, and they tell me that this group of women were upset with me because I started a, a new group away from theirs. So then I unblocked that one woman, Sarah, that had sent all that stuff, and she tells me that um, – I don't know if she was in the – sense of saying men but she was just like you people can't be left to your own device and i was like what and she's like you shouldn't have a neighborhood group that you control that's outside of our group we should be the ones moderating everything for the neighborhood like i was a threat because i started my own facebook group and they were pissed that i shouldn't be able to put out news and like danger in the neighborhood like murders happening yeah casey's putting out like time stats on his little facebook page he's like (laughs) they got mad at him they took him down so that they wouldn't know that their community's not safe yeah they they took down the the murder stats they took down the the fbi statistics for the area i posted them from the joint task force and uh they told me that things like that make the neighborhood look bad and people don't need to be aware (laughs) of those things the problem with (laughs) neighborhood dictator the problem with those women is they have husbands, and the way they try to bully you, they bully their husbands, and both of those people vote. Oh, you don't even know, bro. I, I walk around this neighborhood, and uh, so we so this is even another compound on top of that. The woman that runs the neighborhood group invited me to a neighborhood safety meeting under the guise of having coffee with neighbors in the morning. So I'm like, yeah, cool, let's go. I take my wife and kids down there. So we roll up like a fucking pack of wolves and, uh, you know, got a baby with me and all this stuff. And right when we walk out, you can tell the whole tension of the group changed. And there's like purple hair, 400 pound lesbians there and like dyke couples and a, a couple gay dude couples, and you know, just whatever. It's like a mix of everyone. And the first thing that's brought up is the neighborhood crime stats and people are trying to gloss over it. Like we're in this fucking super safe and you know you know and me i'm like hey let me give you the quick safety brief there was a murder here on this day there were cars stolen on this day so overall the aggregate of crime here was like we're in a pretty you know pretty high crime area so you guys shouldn't be feeling quite as safe as you are and uh this purple hair lesbian is like i don't like your attitude you you're racist <laughs> i was like what what the fuck does this have to do with race and she's like, well, the people that are committing these crimes are black. And the fact that you're putting out that there are crime stats is racist against them. I was like, holy fuck, are you serious? I was like, it, literally, look at me. And I was in shorts and t-shirt. I'm like, I have tattoos all over my fucking body. I got a full beard. Apparently, I'm a scary looking dude. So if you see me creeping along the side of your house in the middle of the night, you probably should call the fucking cops, regardless if I'm white, black, whatever. I mean, I'm a scary looking dude, apparently. So I would, I would appreciate if you let the other's neighbors know that a creepy dude that looks like me is crawling through your bushes. And uh, no one laughed. My wife was like laughing at me when I was saying it. And so then this lady goes, well, we don't need to have like you. You're the kind of people that would have a neighborhood watch. And I'm like, what the fuck? I, I mean, I just didn't know what to say. And. This lady goes, I'm a a nationally published expert on safety and crime. And this is the purple hair, 300 pound lesbian. And I'm like, oh, wow. I was like, you know, I I would love for you to enlighten me on uh, 
you know, some of the security concerns of the neighborhood. You know, my car was stolen twice in the last year while we were gone. Things like that, you know, the murders. And she's like, well, I'm going to be published in Home and Garden this week and on how to prevent cars from being stolen. And I'm like, oh, shit. I'm like, we got a fucking expert. I'm like, did you tell us all how to prevent cars from being stolen? Because that's like a pandemic in our neighborhood. Cars get stolen every fucking day. I'm like, what can we do? I mean, could you tell us? And I'm being a super smart ass. And she goes, it doesn't apply to our neighborhood. I'm like, what the Didn't fuck? she like how, try how to borrow a vehicle bar? from somebody that looked like she was more oh. of an expert, like a truck or something? Oh, no, no. This, this is even better. Yeah, yeah. She made a, a post in the neighborhood group that she needed to borrow someone's truck because she was a mechanic and they were posting a article about hers in another magazine like Home and Garden. And I responded on there. I was like, hey, I'm about to pull a fucking transmission out of this truck. Why don't you come down and help me? And then you can post those pictures of you and make it seem like you did the transmission. And keep in mind, this, this bitch is like a beached well. She ain't getting underneath no truck. And uh, she was pissed. She just like glared, you know, and because she recognized me that security meeting. So I'm posting all this shit about her. Like, come down, borrow my tools, you know, use my shop, work on my fucking cars. And she literally, these are the people that they have no fucking job skills. There's no fucking way she could do anything to a car. She couldn't put an alternator on a car, change fluid. And she's posting articles like a fucking, this beach well holding a wrench. And you can tell, I mean, she can't wipe her own ass. How the fuck is she going to work on a car? And these are the same fucking women that the the best part was about a, two weeks later, this Jewish guy that lives in our neighborhood, uh, he posted uh, an ad just saying, hey, man, I need to get some fans in my house done. Does anyone recommend a company to do it? And I responded back and I go, hey, I'm out of town. I'm down in Texas. But when I get back up there, I'll come install your fans for you. And I'll teach you how to do it so you don't ever have to pay anyone to do it again. And he's like, oh, sweet. Thanks, man. I'll just I'll set aside a day for you. Well, as soon as I commented that, like every lesbian in the neighborhood commented like, oh, I'm going to bring my tool belt down and I'm going to help you do it. Then the other lesbian, oh, I'm going to help you too. So it turned into this whole, you know, one up me. Like they're going to show me that they can take care of the neighborhood and don't need men or some shit. How many lesbians does it take to install a fan? (laughs) <laughs> exactly and keep in mind th- this chick is like 300 one of them is like 350 pounds she can't stick her fucking hand i don't even know how she washes her own hair for god's oh, sake God. Casey, you're so fucking people, brutal. <laughs> I, well it, then one of our other neighbors uh she's and they're selling their house so we we like them they're a conservative family and uh that purple hair lesbian lives next door and uh apparently she has some kind of like only fans thing with giant dildos and the neighbor knows because she can see in her backyard and she'll have like a fucking fortress of dildos in the backyard or something and she'll be talking on a cell phone to them or something. <laughs> and I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm thinking in my head, what kind of sick motherfucker pays for that? And none of y'all better speak up and say you do, but if that's your thing. So cool. there's another thing that we could talk about, like the, the degeneracy of, of like... Like, okay, so I, I try really hard, you know, from a quote-unquote liberty-type perspective to, like, not shit on somebody for making money how they feel like they need to make money, right? Like, if you want to be a stripper, then go be a stripper. But, like, this, um, I feel like the whole, like, I don't know. Like, there's, like, I, it's hard for me to go through my friends list on Twitter and not see, like, 50 OnlyFans girls. Like, it's, like, we talk about... 
um, the quality of women. Like it's it's like that's that's their identity now. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. The way I look at it is like, sure, I'm not in a position to be uh, passing judgment on anybody. But what I will say is like, I feel very confident that I can say that you're not living uh, your life in the best way possible. Um, I'm going to judge somebody for that. They can do whatever they want. But I'm very, I'm quite happy to say that I, I do think that there are better ways to live. And as you know, as I said earlier, I've, you know, I've been an imperfect person for my entire life. I'm pretty good at it now, uh, being shitty at things. And I can promise you that living virtuously to the extent that you're able to do it is a better way to live. And I'm, I'm happy to tell people that, like, you know, I've got friends that are, I mean, they're not only fans, girls by any stretch, but do things that I don't agree with. Um, and I'm not going to like parent them, but if it comes up, I'm happy to say, yeah, I think I know a better way to live. <laughs> and it's not my way, by the way, it's a bunch of other people's way that you just keep saying is my way. So like, it's not my way, dude. I'm listening to these other people who told me how to do this thousands of years ago. Like, it's not my way, man. It's their way, you know? So do you guys have a, like, okay. Cause th this is like something that I think about a lot. I'm all, I don't know if you, some of you guys know, I, I'm, I actually am a big Christian, or at least I, I'm a bad Christian that wants to be a good Christian. I try my best, but uh, that whole thing, I, I have a confliction with uh, my constitutionalist libertarian standpoint of letting people, if you're an adult, a consenting adult, let you do whatever the fuck you want, and it's like drugs. I don't care if people smoke crack. They do whatever drugs they want to, you know, it should be free country just like guns if you want to own a fucking nuclear bomb as long as you can maintain it it doesn't poison anyone else or you know whatever have as many guns as you want tanks whatever but when it comes to people's morals in life i have a hard time judging other people because of my constitutionalist type libertarian standpoint where i don't ever want to be judge someone on what moral the morality of that i perceive of them like OnlyFans, well, I'll, uh, I don't give a so fuck what people do. I'll say one thing. Real quick. How do how do you guys reconcile? I can, I can do that the, in a minute, but I'll, I'll let when, Nicholas and then I'll, I'll tell you how I look at yeah, it. Yeah, the, the only question I have is how do you guys reconcile the uh, Mike the morality standpoint at the same time of allowing like making sure that you're if if you are a constitutionalist, freedom loving. How do you reconcile? Hold on, real, so I'll, I'll say one thing real quick, and then I gotta I gotta bounce for a second. Okay, go I gotta go hold LT's hand, who got bit by fire ant, but um. Get out of yeah, here. But, I'm not even joking. Um, but uh, so I, I think one of the big things that shifted is like that that has always been a thing like stripping or like pornography or whatever. But it used to be like a behind a closed doors thing. And now it's very much like an out in the open like, hey, you have to accept this lifestyle. Like otherwise you're a bad person and you're judging me. And it's like, no, I don't have to accept your lifestyle. Like I can think you're not living a good life, but like you should also like – but and I'll keep those comments to myself. But you should also like not want it and demand that it be recognized as like an okay lifestyle when you when you know there's a lot of people who don't agree with it. But that, that I gotta go. Oh, the stupid fuck, lieutenant. Oh my I god. Think, I think the whole <laughs> judging thing is like the biggest cope ever. It, I don't I don't know why doing like like Braxton said it is suggesting. Hey, I found this way that works for me. I'm not here to tell you what to do, but this works really well for me. Maybe you should try that. I don't know how that got to be that that's judgment. Right. You know, trying to help a friend, a neighbor, a stranger, whoever, into finding a better way, that, that's not judgment. Of course if, if not. That's judgment. Never really been judged. 
correct. And it goes beyond that. Um, you're right, and it also goes beyond that. And like, take the West for example. There were always brothels and those kinds of things happening out here, but it was um, only men, adult men, were able to. Like, okay, people will say, "Well, I mean, there's all these records of 16 year old cowboys ending up there." And it's like, yeah, guess what? A 16 year old in 1855 uh, working on a cattle drive somewhere was a completely different. Well, it wouldn't be a cattle drive then, but anyway, working, you know, on some cattle operation back then was not the same thing as a 16 year old now. Um, so it was reserved for, uh, uh, men who were mature and in some sense fully formed. And now pornography is this new thing where, um, men and women who are not at all mature are engaging in this thing that we know is destructive. There's, there's no question. I mean, there's just like anyone who tries to argue that pornography is, um, not bad for both male or female at that age is just either not leading, reading the literature or is just lying. And I would lean toward the latter. Um, and so this is actually new pornography in the sense that we have it now. And some people say, Oh, well, when I was a kid, I found my dad's, you know, porn stash or whatever of, you know, his stash of playboys, you know, well, I'm sorry that you had that kind of father, but, um, this is a, this is a different, it's a different thing. Now they have access to it 24 seven on their phone, on their computer, all of this. And so, uh, we as a society have not figured out how to quite reconcile this. And, you know, one answer is authoritarian and it's like, okay, well, we just don't allow this on the internet anymore because the risk to our sons and daughters is too great. So that's an answer. Another answer is like, well, I guess we just do the full libertarian thing where it's like, okay, fine, um, this is the new market and you as a parent have got to watch over your kid 24-7. Well, the problem with that is that then you create like latchkey weirdo pussy kids and I don't know, to me, that doesn't seem like a great solution. So I I don't know exactly, you know, how to... uh, I don't know the exact right answer to tackle the problem, but I do know that like pretending that um, there's a simple solution is, is, is not working. And I think that uh, another answer that is, you know, works for me, maybe it doesn't work for everybody else, but it sounds great to me. And if I was like king for a day, I would institute it is uh, <clears throat> we as a culture stop pretending that we don't that we like let's just stop supporting degeneracy if these people want to be degenerates and do degenerate stuff then i guess they can do that but um we're not going to sort of uh give space for it so shun it you know at every turn i think it should be shunned and i think you're doing your um your culture and society a disservice if you don't shun it frankly um so I, anyway so the third solution is my answer for now uh since i don't get to institute my other solution anyone yeah hang on somebody requested to speak go ahead susie Susie, did you want to speak? Okay, sorry. No, I was just reloading for everything. Thank you. No, I was just going to add, I don't think a lot of people have a problem with the things that people do. It's just, we don't, I, I, I personally, I don't want it out in the street. You know, what you do, if it's between two consenting adults at home, you know, let your freak fly fly. Do whatever you want. But, I mean, yeah, anyway, sorry. And the problem is with the internet is there's no such things at home anymore, particularly not with like OnlyFans. Otherwise, I agree with you. But we don't live in that world anymore. 
um, our kids have cell phones and they have access to computers and all of this. So the street is effectively everywhere they go, you know, um, there's no way to escape this thing. So well, I, I, like guess I, I mean more like small children, um, you know, like, like from those, those photos you saw at like pride events where they're, you know, those mm-hmm. and things like that, where there's like four year olds standing there and mm-hmm. it's like, you know, once kids get old enough to have a phone, you know, when if you determine that time is and to have access to those kinds of things, I guess. But yeah, I, that's why I was more of the younger kids. Sure. You know, I think you nailed it, Braxton. You know, I mean, just, just, just telling everybody. You know, I mean, not necessarily outright banning it, but you know, to the fact that you just don't accept it as you know as a as a true true form of you know an income or a job or whatever the case may be because i'm sitting right where casey's at you know i mean i'm i'm all about everybody's freedom i don't give a damn what anybody does you know for the most part because as soon as you start putting on those restrictions it doesn't matter what the restriction is whether it's religion or sex or whatever the case may be as soon as those doors of repression are open they're opened on all of us on all of our ideals really it's a really hard thing to balance and i mean I want pedophilia to be outright freaking gone, then I realize that puts a restriction on shit. But I mean, mm-hmm. uh, what do you what do you what do you kind of do about that? You got to have some restrictions if you want a moral society. But I do want everybody to some way, some way or another, to be able to freely do their lives how they see fit and not have the restrictions put on by government and things like that. But like I said, without without some restrictions, how do you have a moral society? Well, yeah, you guys, well, you guys yeah. remember that. Uh, the, the whole thing with like trannies reading books to kids in the library, like the, the cross dresser insanity. Okay, so up by our house up north in Milwaukee, that was a fucking child court judge that ran that program. You know, like juvenile court for children, like family court, where they decide who gets custody of kids that are like juvenile, um, juvenile offenders. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a judge, he set that up. They were doing that in a Milwaukee public library. That guy I'll point out that in most he, in most states has an elected point, uh, position. Point that out. Yes, he is an elected official. He he was raided by the Fed the feds about two months ago for uh, his office, his home, and his vacation home were all. So his his judicial office was raided, and they found hundreds of images and videos of child pornography. Oh, so fucking imagine that. Yeah. You know. It's it's always the ones that advocate against that stuff that you find it in. It's it's always the opposite. It's like rejection, basically. Going back to that, you know what Casey was just talking about with that judge. I heard a, I heard somebody. I don't even remember where I heard it, but a couple months ago, a few months ago, I heard somebody say you know, somebody is going to push their morality. Somebody's going to legislate their morality. It may as well be. Yes, I don't know how I feel about that. I, I don't know how I feel about it, but I kind of understand it. He's not wrong. That was great. Well, that's the reason I bring up the judge thing is as a society, if you just look at the most common thought process of an average citizen, when you say I'm a judge, especially a family court judge for children, you think of unwavering morals, uh, dedication to law and justice, professionalism. And it's the fucking opposite in our society. The, the criminals are the ones sitting in those positions who have lost their way. And this is where the whole reason I brought up how do you find your way between constitutionalism and morality. It's a tough one because 
if you ask me right now, if, if, if I got to do what Braxton did and be king for the day, I would be like the Filipino president and I would be like, hey, go out and kill every fucking pedophile in this country and I'll pardon you. And I feel very strongly about that. We should have wood chippers and public executions. And uh, ch- children are our number one asset in this world. And w- if we don't protect them, we don't protect anything. And uh, I think where Braxton and other people are talking about morality, if, if we don't have some sort of morality, at, at least something, and you just let it be a free-for-all, I think your whole society starts to fall. And that's, you know, look at the Romans, look at, I mean, there's tons of examples out there. But at the same time, you know, I, I spent a lot of time as a younger sailor, soldier in European countries, you know, in Germany. Uh, I lived in Amsterdam for a while, you know, Switzerland. All these places are very different than we are with nudity. So you go into a convenience store and they have like a magazine you read that's got like, the lingerie spread showing titties in the middle of a magazine. I mean, it's like just normal for them. And you go to a thing called a mineral therm over there. And there's people that are butt naked swimming with their kids. You know, there's kids all around, all the adults are naked. And it's just like a way of life where they don't let sexuality become a negative thing. So in in the sense of, uh, are, are we also like, so, uh, I don't know the correct word here. Are we so uh, vanilla traditional on this, like Mormon, that we're just being judgmental? And I'm asking a question. I'm not making a statement because I I don't know the answer. Who do you think, which culture do you think degenerated first, Europe or America? Um, See, that's a tough one for me because I feel like America is super degenerated and Europe. It, it's not as publicized because like when I lived in Israel, for instance, um, I didn't realize that uh, Jer- or, uh, Tel Aviv was the gay capital of the world. And I think a lot of people don't know that, but they have like massive gay pride parades and it's just like flamboyant there. But if I didn't live there and someone told me that, I wouldn't believe them. So when we talk about Europe in that area, um, I almost feel like we don't hear a lot about the degeneration because it's almost normal there. It's like a way of life. Like the when you think of like that German Scheiser porn stuff, you hear about it as a joke, Erica. But there, I don't, I don't know what that is. Uh, it's like some weird shit. And then, you know, it's they real. have yeah, they have some weird stuff going on. Like in Germany, uh, they have hotels that are like brothels. You know, Amsterdam, Portugal, where a bunch of places where prostitution is legal. And it doesn't seem like any time that I go to those places that it's as bad as it seems here in America. Like, it always seems worse here. And I don't know if that's because, like I said, our, our, where we stand on the view of it, or is it actually worse here? So I, I didn't Susie. answer your question, Braxton, so I, I don't know the answer. Oh, sorry, man. Susie, you had your hand raised. I'll let you go ahead and speak, and then I actually want to chime in on this, too. Oh, no, I was just going to say, like, I went and spent a month in England for foreign exchange when I was in high school, you know, a lifetime ago. And the the teenager, because I went to school with these kids, and it's just, it almost, where I, compared to where I went to school, it was a totally different level. Like, we went to the bar and we drank at, at 15, you know, we were smoking cigarettes at the bar. You could go and buy a teen magazine, and it had naked teens in it, like naked boys. I mean, I'm assuming, I don't know what their ages were. You know, and it was, they were so rude to their teachers and it was just, it was crazy to me, the difference, um, even from, 
you know, I guess they would be fairly similar to us uh, from that. So, sorry, my edibles kicked in, so I lost my train of thought. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Braxton, to, to go back to your point, like, do you think that Europe or America degenerated first? I, I think that Europe did it first, but I think America went harder, meaning the level of degeneration that has taken place is a, is a whole different level than like there. I, I, and it's funny because whenever I lived in Europe, I like, I remember going to France, right. And you'd go into these little cafes and the women would be smoking their cigarettes and the French just smoke prettier than Americans do. Like, it's just the touching back on what Casey said, like the, the culture are we prudish in our regards? I don't think we are. And it's funny because, you know, the fucking Taliban guy that's got this account that I think he's a CIA agent. Um, mm-hmm. He he put a meme out earlier today that was like, it showed like kids going to school. And it was like, oh, you fucking crazy ass people. And then he's like, yeah, okay. And then shows like, in, there was this photograph <clears throat> of these children that were and it was a lot of like the gay pride stuff and what if you like zoomed in on the photograph there is a child that literally is inserting something in a man's asshole and it was it was and so when you talk about like which one happened first i think it was europe but i think they got to a point where they're like okay we're okay with being naked we're okay with like you know expression whereas america's like we're going to take that a whole nother step and we're going to to cross boundaries just to, to do it harder. Does that make sense? Everything that happens in America will always be uniquely American. And we are, as a culture, we tend to uh, take things to the extreme. We've always kind of valued that. We're a frontier society fundamentally. Um, so, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me to find that America is actually worse. And that's why I said first because I think first is important here. Um, but I've also never seen a video of someone in America, uh, God forbid, I hope it hasn't happened, but someone in America doing anything like uh, what you just described. So that might uh, kind of poke a hole in that theory. But I do think that whatever happens here, whether it's communism or, or whatever form of authoritarianism we're trending toward, will be uniquely American. And it's not going to be Red Revolution or any of this stuff. Um, and I know that we're talking about uh, a form of cultural Marxism, which people object to that term, but it's the best term that we have. Um, whatever it is, it's going to be its own thing. I just think that, you know, if you could, I I would say this, like if you could reset the clock, like right now and go back to live with, um, uh, modern medicine and modern, uh, you know, uh, with the sort of material abundance that we have now, and in the but with the culture of say 1917 um or go back to 1917 uh you know reverse that or have you know uh the material abundance of do you know what i'm trying to say like bring the culture here or go back without the culture i think most people would say it'd be great to bring the culture uh of then of, of that time to now rather than the inverse and i think that really speaks to where we're at as a society right now i think well, I think I think people also forget about. I, I'm a history major, and you go back to. I hate clowning on Marines and stuff, but they all have these Spartan tattoos, and people forget that the Spartans were like the most aggressive pedophiles in the world, and uh, they went through a gogi where they were assigned a mentor who was an older man who could have sex with them up until the time they had graduated that 
course. And when they graduated the course, he had to stop having sex with them. And then they were married. But if they continued the relationship after the training, then it was considered a form of pedophilia. But it was totally acceptable, kind of like it is in Afghanistan with chai boys. It was an acceptable thing when kids were younger to do this to them because it was cultural. And this has never stopped. But I feel like we're in a unique time where we respect morality and pedophilia now is abhorred. It's like, no, fuck no. We're going to throw you in a fucking wood chipper if you touch a okay, where did that? Okay, where and do you think that came I'm from? The, um, I think honestly, uh, education through mass information, From where? such as the internet, what, what's and things, the, what, where what moral people's, underpinning changed. I believe that it was more of a hidden, a, like a hidden thing where it wasn't mass knowledge back then, and now that people see it for what it is, how did they see it? And for also, what it I is? think I, what what made them see it for a what big it is? A, a big spread of Christianity is would be my opinion. Yeah. I mean, it's just my That's opinion correct. because you don't see, it's undeniable. you don't see those things happen. And like, and you know, I've, I've lived in mosques before on, you know, deployed. And I, I don't know if you guys know this, I speak Arabic and uh, it's kind of a weird thing because you talk to these guys and uh, there was a big study in Afghanistan done by the female engagement teams, the Marine Corps funded it. And uh, they, they found out that there was an exponential crisis among men between 18 and 45 that uh, they were homosexuals, but wouldn't identify as a homosexual. And one of the points in that study that I read, it was one of the female engagement teams talking to a, he was a local and uh, he, he was explaining that his wife wouldn't get, couldn't get pregnant type deal. And he was like, they started talking about you know, female anatomy and he didn't understand the difference between each, you know, the vagina and the asshole that, how he could get her pregnant and she had to explain it to him. And so it goes back to this whole education thing, but at the same time, you know, and I don't want to demonize Islam totally, but it was acceptable for 50 year old men to marry 12 year old girls in the time of Muhammad. That was like a culturally acceptable thing, right? which I, I, I don't think it should be. And I think still in Muslim culture, the excuses made were, were, you know, Muhammad did it. So it's not that bad, but I don't think that there's an excuse for pedophilia of children in any sense. I mean, I, uh, I don't want to get into war crime. So names you go ahead in country. You can go next. Uh, I'm not history major or anything, but I am a history buff. And the thing with Christianity and that is wherever it's spread, morals have improved greatly compared to paganism and other religions that aren't on the same level of like yes revere your children and stuff like that country go ahead i just wanted to touch on something that was said earlier um so i kind of had the opposite experience of you when you were in england i uh i went to school in germany as a kid and i came to the states um while i was in germany there was like statues everywhere of like naked people and there were people they would swim like in a river naked. Um, so when I got to the States and I found out that women were ashamed to breastfeed their kid in public, it was like really weird to me. Uh, <laughs> so that was just one of the things, but it was, I had another point. Hold up. Yeah, I forgot it. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, so it's interesting that you guys are talking, uh, Freeborn, did you want to talk? Yeah, I was just going to just from somebody that's totally, totally coming from a, uh, a perspective, somebody that's not real well-traveled. Uh, 
and and kind of a layman, just from observing society, there's a correlation to be made uh, between morality, I think, and what we originally started talking about was was morality versus liberty. And I don't know that you find a, a an example anywhere where the decay of morality leads to more liberty. It, it just doesn't seem to fit. Uh, as, as we decay into, into degeneracy, we always become less free. Yes. It, it, all, just, all of the best libertarians wrote about this. All of them. Hoppe, uh, Rothbard. Ayn Rand. Uh, yeah, Ayn Rand to a degree. Of course, she was not a huge, she, you know. Uh, objectivism has its own, you know, you know, like objectivists. Yeah, okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, gonna scrap Iron Rand there, but um, <laughs> Rothbard, Hoppe, Mises, you know, they they all wrote about this, and they all Jefferson to, you know, they all under, Madison even understood this. Like this is not even this is it's only it's new for people to pretend like they don't know this, and and we all know it inherently. By the way, like that's why our that's why culture. Um, took the path that it did uh james dean you know his uh rebel without a cause you know devil without a cause which which was it rebel without a cause i think um rebel. yeah this whole thing was a uh rebelling against a system and you know where we're in, where we live in a culture where women select then that that makes sense because what what happens there is the woman says well this is a brave man uh and a useful mate because they might you know be able to provide and in even new ways you know um they might find material abundance over the horizon that is sort of untold well that that uh that way of thinking developed into where we're at now and it's been cheapened you know into this you know we're, we're no longer a species of people who are crafting boats out of animal skins trying to find the next horizon and instead now we are uh only fans girls um, you know, our 13 year olds have OnlyFans accounts and, uh, our, our sons, uh, masturbate and play Call of Duty. Like it's, it, it all led, it all led up to this and, you know, That's, there are I ways was, to get away from it, but we're not I always sort of shake it. my head. I always sort of shake my head when I hear a friend or, or anybody make this argument of, 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 do I choose, do we choose as a society constitutionality or, or some morality? And I always try to explain it. Those guys that wrote that constitution, you think they weren't going at it from some some moral standpoint? They weren't. They didn't have some moral high ground that they were trying to um, they were trying to to use to guide this nation as it went forward. And it, it, it the two are not mutually exclusive. It doesn't have to be one or the other. It's worse than that. Uh, there can only be one or the other. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um yeah, let me read you really quick. Let me find this quote uh that I like really fast. Um anyway, someone talk and I'll find the quote. Country, go ahead while he looks this quote up. Yeah, sorry, I just remembered my point. Um so yeah, when I when I came back to the stage, so it was the this previous nature of Americans and uh I th I think that like there's a culture of bravery in the States. Um and, and when these people were like let's say like gays in the seventies, for instance, uh, like when they came out and, and protested uh, with like doing drag shows and stuff like that, it was seen as like this brave act. And then these people that had to like do this thing, or whatever, in the in the dark, like they couldn't come out in public and do it, whatever. Um, you know, they seen that that happened, or whatever. They got brave themselves, so they came out. This I think it's just like super. 
that's why they're like super flamboyant about it here in the states or whatever, and uh, not as much as in Europe. Um, I think it's like like culturally young uh, America, you know, it, it, like like uh, Casey was saying earlier like, about things were um, like Spartan era or or like Greek era, for instance. Um, you know, those things were thousands of years in the making, whatever. So it's like, you know, people like grew up, whatever, like, uh, you know, Christianity came into play um, and then they got morals and stuff like that. And then they just kept going with that. And then the, it was always like the laissez-faire style of uh, of French liberty um, that went through after the monarchs fell. So like, and this is, this is hundreds of years in the making. So they've they've culturally accepted it. Um, and then they ironed it out. I don't think America's culture, as far as like what happens with that sort of stuff, is ironed out. But I, uh, I just wanted to say something else too, so people don't get me confused. Um, there are some people that need to fucking hide, like pedophiles or whatever, for instance. Those people should never be culturally accepted, and people that do that stuff need to be fucking tortured. <laughs> so, a quote from Murray Rothbard. Uh, libertarianism is logically consistent with almost any attitude toward culture, society, religion, or moral principle. In strict logic, libertarian political doctrine can be severed from all other considerations. Logically, one can be, and indeed most libertarians are in fact are, Wait, did you cut out, Braxton? Yeah, he got he was just to the good part and then he went out. I know. Glad I'm not the only one. He probably uh, politically in his pocket. And be a moocher. Did I myself? Yeah, you, you got to like the good part and then you stopped talking, but we uh, can hear you now. Somebody somebody freaking called me. Okay. Um where was I at? The hedonist part? Uh, it was before that. Okay. I'll just start over just start really over. fast. Yeah, it's, it's fine. Libertarianism is logically consistent with almost any attitude toward culture, society, religion, or moral principle. In strict logic, libertarian political doctrine can be severed from all other considerations. Logically, one can be, and indeed most libertarians are, in fact, hedonists, liber- uh, libertines, immoralists, moral enemy, mort- militant enemies of religion in general, and Christianity in particular, and still be consistent adherents of libertarian politics. In fact, in strict logic, one can be a consistent devotee of property rights politically, be a moocher and a scamster and a petty crook and a racketeer in practice, as all too many libertarians turn out to be. Strictly, logically, one can do those things, but psychologically, sociologically, and in practice, it simply does not work that way. Is that to the point where he was uh, leaving the party? Uh, I no. Well, yeah, actually, it, it could have been. Yeah, it could have been right there. But yeah, I mean, I don't know that that matters. But yeah, it it could have been right in there. I was thinking about like, hanging out with a bunch of libertarians. It probably make me feel that way too after a period of time. <laughs> and that's, that's coming from a libertarian. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know that it's a feeling of any way. It's a it's a diagnosis of political doctrine, and I think it's, in, in my opinion, accurate. But um, it's it's you know it's hitting on all these things that uh, Jefferson and others hit on before. You know. <clears throat> anyway, my truck runs again, which is great. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I love that through the course of this conversation, you have installed an alternator and restarted your vehicle. Like it's, <laughs> it's the quintessential. Like what we're talking about is like 
like being a man, like doing things like sitting here, having a conversation, change an alternator in a truck. <laughs> well, someone's going to do it, you know, um, change so itself. I want to, I want to touch on this a little bit because I'm not religious. Like I, I am Buddhist, which I think Braxton, you know that, but, and some of the rest of you might, but um, it's interesting because I, I've been talking to some students on podcast to talk about the moral decline of society, which means and which is Christian satire, right? Like it's talking about it's constantly pointing in society. And I think that you can even remove the religious aspect of it and still see that the morality itself, like the things that we should hold dear the decline of that is significant. And the like, cultural Marxism is the decay of the family unit. That's the first thing that they've gone after is they tried to create like, to have a for the wife to want to stay home and take her kids or keep her kids. Like, bad for a man to want to go work. Like, it's, it's I don't know. Like, it's just really interesting that religion even plays a role in it. Like, I think that moral compass can can play a role without having to be tied to religion. Sure. Yeah, I don't I don't even necessarily disagree with that. I would just posit that you now have to figure out where that moral compass came from. Right. But yeah, sure. I, I believe I believe my Christian faith has brought me to libertarianism um, for the simple fact of like you know, the golden rule is very similar to the nap. Don't judge others, don't steal, don't kill, you know, things like that. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of similarity. So I do have trouble with, like, what you're talking about, the moral standpoints and stuff of uh, society as a whole creeping in. But it's like, I mean, what would Jesus do in that situation? Yeah, and I want to point out that... Uh, what you would say, what would Jesus do in that situation? I mean, so I would take it back to like uh, um, the stoning uh, that he that he stopped. You know, like he was without sin, cast the first stone in that direction. Um, he hung out with, I mean, not hung out with, but you know, his apostles were um, like former uh, murderers, adulterers, uh, even tax collectors. What what did, what <laughs> so did he tell uh, those people? Yeah, you do have a point there. Don't this way and sin no more, right? And the whole the whole stoning is perhaps apocryphal. I, I mean, I don't know that it's apocryphal, but it's argued that it's apocryphal. But it doesn't matter. It's a great story either way. But he certainly didn't say, go ahead and keep, you know, being this way. You know what I mean? Yeah, that is a fact. And and I, I'm saying and that I, I want to point out that the Bible shit show. You know what I mean? Like, I absolutely have been a shit show in my life. So I'm not, when I, when I say this kind of stuff, I'm not, like, pretending that I have, you know, been a person who has not sinned or is not a sinful person to, until, you know, today. You know what I'm saying? Casey, go ahead. Yeah, I just want to point out that uh, the Bible, when it talks about, it, it says, do not murder, not do not kill. There are plenty of people killed by the righteous in the Bible, and there's good reasoning for those deaths. So, I think a lot of veterans and soldiers get caught up in that, like, no, it was perfectly acceptable for, for soldiers of God to kill certain people, and it was, in fact, directed at time. So it's not do not kill. It was do not murder, which is a huge difference. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, 
I also wanted to go back to your question, Casey, your original question, like the reconciliation of, you know, liberty versus the moral compass, right? So I, my thing is, and I, I've tried really hard to always be somebody that, you know, live and let live, right? So you you want to do these things, I, I go for it. Go live your best life, right? But the minute that your actions start to impede upon or tread upon my individual liberties or therefore my correlation to my children's. So, like, and I, 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 but like going back to these pride parades and stuff like that, right? Like this, uh, this image that I saw today, like has really fucking stuck in my head. Like, so I'm, it's, it's apropos that we're having this conversation, but I like when you start flagrantly putting your personal choices that morally I am opposed to in my children's face. Like I can't walk down the street without seeing your dildo hanging off in your outfit. Like that's when I start having a problem with it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. I, I'm, I'm sorry. Was that, whoever was that was directed to. Was that. Well, and I think that I think all of us would agree with you. I think that goes on to the whole statement of you can do everything you want unless it harms others. And at that point, you're harming Well, and others. I think, I think you're, when, we, you're like when we talk about harm, though, like, these people don't perceive what they're doing to be harmful, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that gets into the whole idea that they these, like, politicians want to make pedophilia yeah, I mean, normal and, like, a, a standard, and that's what we can't accept. Like, it's unacceptable. So when this whole shit show started with, like, drag queens at kids' elementary schools and libraries and readings no fuck no that's that shit ends here and there has to be a solid line of you know like when i when i look at braxton you know he to me you know i see an all-american what i want america to be like a a father a soldier uh a guy that's willing to talk about the things he's done and a guy that says hey i'm not saying um do what i say not as i do type deal it's like hey lead from the front and do the right thing and I, I try to do that in my own personal life. I try to make that my mantra of things. And, you know, I have a quote from um, Abraham Lincoln that you guys may or may not have heard of, but it's one of my favorite ones. And uh, it's, uh, I'm not bound to win, but I am bound to be true. I'm not bound to succeed, but I am bound to live by the light that I have. I must stand with anybody that stands right and stand with him while he is right and then part with him when he goes wrong. Mm-hmm. So that's, I just feel like in life in general, I mean, we can mitigate that freedom slash morality by doing the right thing and showing people the right way to do the right thing. But, you know, the, the, my whole question that I brought up was there's a lot of things that fall in the middle of that of, um, you know, like the Bible talking about not judging people and, you know, God will judge people, things like that. But also I'm, I'm 50, 50 there again. Like we can't just let people be putting children in the scenes and be like, Oh, well they'll get judged later. Oh fuck. No, I'm going to be the judge, jury and executioner. If I see that and I will kill somebody. I don't think God's judge, the judgment of man are necessarily the same thing. So right, 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 I, right. I don't think, I don't think that's a license to just let anything go and, and, and just let God sort it out at the end. Yeah, correct. And, and it's also worth pointing out that a lot of this is built actually on top of um, sort of an Aristotelian view of the world. in in some sense, you know, uh, 
even Aristotle understood that the virtuous life was the life worth living, right? Like that was his, that was his thing. So Christianity is kind of built on top of uh, principles that are even older. And like, you know, Peterson hit on this a lot um, talking about, and, and of course it comes from Nietzsche in some sense, but you can't just rip the moral underpinning from a society and then expect that society to function the way it did while it had a foundation under it. Like that's what we've done in America. Like we're doing this thing where we're, we're almost wearing the skin suit of our country when we've, we've removed the foundation, like the, the basement is flooded, dude. And like, it's time to either start bailing or, you know, bailing water or abandon the project. And so it's like a time, like we've got to decide, are we going to build water or abandon the project? And, you know, too many people are leaning toward the ladder. What do you think we can do? Like you're, you're, proposing that we need to start making a choice like where do you think we're at with that choice we have got to we have got to stop pretending as if we don't think morality matters and as 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 you said i'm happy to align with a person who i'm not i struggle with faith every day like i'm not a good christian by by any stretch you know um but I recognize the value of christian morality and i'm i'm quite happy to align with a buddhist who uh, shares, uh, like, with whom I can have a moral consensus. I'm, I'm quite happy to do that. But I'm also not going to do this thing anymore where I pretend that I think morality doesn't matter. And I'm not going to embrace libertinism because I've seen what that does in my own life. Forget about culture. Um, like in, in my own book, the whole chapter of debauchery is about what happens when you pursue, when I personally pursued libertinism. And it was a fucking disaster. It was horrible. Uh, and in some ways I'm still reeling from that. And so like, if there's something I can do to, uh, the least that I can do for my culture and country is to not propagate that or promulgate the ideas of libertinism. I won't, it's, it's abhorrent and, and, and not conducive to a free people. I would add. That's a, that's a great point. And it's a one I'm going to leave on. So I appreciate everybody. That was awesome. Good. People, good thank you for coming. It was good to have you in here. Okay, thank you. Have a good evening. Thank you, sir. Um, I also only have a couple more minutes. I got to spend time with my kid here. All right, we'll shut it down. Everybody, thanks for joining us tonight. Okay, thank you all. I appreciate everyone. Thanks, thanks for having all of us. Thanks, thanks for having us. It was awesome, guys. See, yeah, that was great. I appreciate that. Yep. Thank you, bud.